The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 18. This week's episode is brought to you by Supershowapproved.com. At Supershowapproved.com, a website created by Dave DeWanch and a handful of creators who intend to be at the 2010 Comic Geek Speak Super Show, Supershowapproved.com celebrates Comic Geek Speak in its own way by spotlighting the creators brought together by the Comic Geek Speak podcast. You can check out the site at Supershowapproved.com. Once again, that's Supershowapproved.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy. Got another big show for you this week. I'm joined by Mercury in the Murd artist Chad Ciccone as uh, he stops by and we talk about the sketch card market and how it's blown up over the past couple of years. And we also talk about how Mercury in the Murd came to be. We also talked with uh, Mystery Solved uh, comic creator and creator of the Contingent comic, Zach Cruzy. Um, myself and John, we have a nice conversation with Zach. I think you'll enjoy that. And then we conclude the show with an interview um, it's between myself and artist Andrew Charpar. Andrew Charpar provides artwork for Agents of Cult and Black's Danger in Space of PKD Media. And he also has his own title called Tales of the Cornerstone, which I think you would enjoy. If you want to check out uh, these following people's works, uh, for Chad Ciccone, you can check out Chad Ciccone, and that's Ciccone spelled C-I-C-C-O-N-I dot squarespace dot com. We, um, for Mystery Solved by Zach Cruzy, you can check out Mystery Solved Comic, that's all one word, Mystery Solved Comic dot com. And for Andrew Charpar, Mis- Misfit Corner, that's one word, Misfit Corner dot blogspot dot com. So I really hope that you enjoy today's show. I think it's a really good one. Also, this weekend is the CGS Super Show in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, if you don't know about it, go to uh, cgssupershow.com to uh, find out w- what it's all about and what goes on there. PKD Media will be there with a slew of artists at our booth, um, including, once again, Chad Ciccone, Andrew Charpar, Julian Lytle from the hit webcomic Ants, uh, Jim Miller, a.k.a. Uh, Big Jim, who is a storyboard artist for Ed, Ed, Nettie, and Kid vs. Cat and a cartoonist, uh, Bill Blankenship, artist, uh, Harold Jennett, Dave Kraft, and Dean Stahl. So we will have, from the looks of things, eight artists at our booth. I will have comics available for sale, like the trade paperbacks of Mercury and the Murd, Volume 1, Collateral Damages, and Agents of Cult, Volume 1, Recipe for Destruction, and all other types of goodies, plus a big old raffle, raffling, raffling off some cool stuff that you'll hear about on this episode. So enough of me talking. Let's get on with the show. One of the things I wanted to talk about um, on today, on like on this interview, was uh, the sketch card market and the sketch card world. You know, I know you've talked about it a lot, and a lot of other people have talked about it, but seeing that I don't draw, I, I want to understand what really encompasses it. You know, why do people get so hyped up about these sketch cards? I mean, I like them, but I'm still trying to understand the culture. Well, you you were there almost at the beginning of my sketch card career because it started... Last year, basically, it started 
one con before Heroes when we were there together last year. Mm-hmm. It started for me really at uh, the Steel City Con in Pittsburgh when the CGS guys invited me to sit at their table with them. That show is really more of a toy show than a comic show. So I wasn't real busy. I was sort of sitting there BSing with Jamie D uh, most of the weekend doing a, a sketch commission here or there. I had ordered from Blue Line Pro, that's a, a art supply company, uh, some Bristol paper a couple weeks before that show. And every now and then Blue Line Pro will just throw in you know something extra to your pack, just as kind of a promotional item to you know see if you'll use it or buy more and they had thrown in a pack of their sketch card stock which was a little two and a half by three and a half paper uh that a lot of people use for the sketch cards and i had never done any sketch cards i was doing baby boomers and mercury in the murder with you and Mm -hmm. trying to do commission work and stuff at the cons so i'm sitting there with jamie d watching the world go by at the steel city con so i'm (laughs) i pulled these things out and you know rather than doodling in my sketchbook i said all right jamie start naming some characters and I just started drawing sketch cards. We were sitting across from uh, one of the celebrities who was at the show, an actress who played one of the Jedi in Return of the Jedi, and I did a sketch card of her. Anthony Daniels was there, so I did a C-3PO sketch card. Jamie D said Frog Thor, so I did a Frog Thor sketch card <laughs> and handed it to him. And so rather than just sit there and draw in my sketchbook the whole weekend, I started just doing just some pencil sketches and on these sketch cards and throwing them out in front of my... Uh, on the table for stuff that was, you know, I was selling in prints and stuff, and I, you know, put five dollars on them. And darn if I didn't sell one or two of them on Sunday before the end of the show. And uh, the Steel City Roller Derby team was there, two tables down. So, uh, you know, Brian Deemer was uh, commenting on the lovely lady. So I did a couple sketch cards and gave them to them, and they were all you know, fawning over us and dragged me over for a photograph. So I said, man, there might be something to this sketch card thing. (laughs) So uh, I drew a couple more. I had some old markers around that I had uh, not used for a couple of years, but still had some juice in them. So I did a couple of color ones, and I brought them with me to Heroes Con two months later when when we were there last June. Yeah. And you saw the result there. I threw them out on the table and uh, got a couple nibbles. And then this one woman came along and she ordered two cards from me and I think a card from Dave DeWanch. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after she got the first two cards, she came back a couple hours later and got two more. I think I sold five cards to her over the two days of Heroes Con. Yes, she was like a sketch card crackhead. She just well, kept coming back. <laughs> I've, had, I've had more contact with her after uh, that because after Heroes Con, I decided, wow, well, this is, this is something I want to check into more because this... Uh, and I, we, she wasn't the only one who who got sketch cards from me at uh, at Heroes Con. There was two or three other people. I probably sold eight or ten sketch cards at fifteen bucks pop mm-hmm. down at Heroes Con. Yes. So I said, I got to check into this. So after Heroes Con, literally a day or two after I got back, I started looking around the web because I said, well, there's comic collectors. I know there's got to be sketch card collectors. And I found uh, there's a there's a message board, a, a message forum called Scoundrel. It's called the Scoundrel Boards. Uh, I don't know the exact URL, but if you go to Google and type in Scoundrel Sketch Card Forum, it'll certainly come up. And there is a rabid 
culture of sketch card collectors. There's podcasts about it, and there is a big trade in sketch cards. And I found out a lot more. I, I didn't really know anything about the official sketch card sets back at HeroesCon, but I started looking into it, and I found out that I guess I guess 10 or 12 years ago, sketch cards started as just artists wanting to trade a little bit of art. Mm, okay. And they were doing it like an underground thing. And then some of the trading card companies picked up on it. And companies like Tops or Upper Deck or the big ones that do, that have the licenses to do Star Wars trading cards or um, Marvel and DC trading card sets, what they started doing was hiring a bunch of artists to say, all right, we're going to send you these little blank cards that we have printed up with logos and stuff on them. We want you to do sketches of these characters. And they would put them in the packs, not one in every pack, but like as a promotional to say, every case of cards will have one pack with this original sketch card in it. And so they started using it as a promotion to sell their trading card sets with original art from, and they would get Marvel artists and DC artists to do the sets, and then they would get, uh, you know, uh, other artists, unknown artists, and put them in the set, and and it really started to take off. So now, I guess for the last ten or twelve years, they've been putting these sets out and hiring these artists, and you know they don't really pay the artists very much. I, I've I've now done. I haven't been able to work for Tops or Upper Deck or any of the big companies, but there's several other smaller companies that are doing this, and I've probably done probably eight, nine official sets from a couple of the smaller companies now, and you you get paid a very small amount per card. Yes. But there's other there's other incentives. Uh, they do what are called artist returns. If you do 50 or 100 cards, they'll when you send them into the company, they'll it, you can ask for particular ones you like, but they'll say, "All right, for every 50 cards, you get three artist returns." And what they do is they just return three cards to you, and they're sort of stamped with the official seal from the card set. And there's a real big collector's market, so you can sell those on eBay for oh, okay. Okay. for a significant amount. See that that okay? See now that makes sense because I like I, sometimes I'll like hop on eBay and like you'll see a Katie Cook sketch card, and these are returned Katie Cook sketch cards. Yeah. And so there are official cards from the set. They're on the official card stock from the set. They're like stamped or something with the 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 logo in the corner from the card set, but they send it back to the artist. So. They they know the artists want to make some money, and because they pay so little, they got to give you something. So they give you back some of the cards with, and you can either keep them or sell them. I mean, I I've been able to sell my returns even on these small sets from these small companies for fifty bucks. I bet Katie can probably sell hers for hundreds of bucks. Oh, and I don't know, and I've seen that, and, and see yeah. that, and that's what that's what like you know trip me out. You know, because Katie Cook is popular. You know, let's be real, she's very popular. But I'm sure if Katie like if a Katie Cook sketch card that was returned goes for 300 how much are these other ones going for well there's two things you might see on ebay you might see katie selling her own cards as returns to generate income from the work she did or you might just see the aftermarket and people who bought the packs and pulled a katie cook sketch card selling it on ebay that was the interesting experience i had about two months ago on a set i did for uh for the Moonstone comics character that I did a set for a company called uh, Five Finity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little company that's really been pumping out a lot of sketch card sets. Uh, I've just finished working on a set for them about three days ago, mailed the cards in. Uh, but I, they had a set, they, they had a license from the Moonstone uh, comics company and that did all, they had characters like uh, Carl Kolshak and the Phantom 
and Honey West and they had Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> so they gave they sent us out a list of like fifty characters that we could use and do sketch cards and um and uh somebody sold one of my sketch cards that they had pulled from a set for like 150 bucks. Wow. And I was like, wow, okay, that's a unique experience. <laughs> There's apparently an aftermarket in Chad Ciccone art. I didn't realize. <laughs> that's awesome, though. I mean, you wish that was your 150 bucks, but at the same time, it's like, wow, something I've done has merited that much. It has merited that much. I mean, because what a lot of people don't know, Chad, is that you haven't been in the game that long. Your game has like really come a long way in such a short period of time. Can you like tell the folks, um, when did you really get started? Well, I got started back into drawing probably in 06. I have, I have been... I have drawn, just doodling and drawing all my life, and uh, it. I, I'm a I'm a I'm an old school role playing geek. When I came up in high school, I did you know D and D and various role playing games, and I was always the guy who sat there during the game and drew everybody's character sketches for him. And periodically, I would get back into drawing, and I never really considered doing anything serious with it. And then in about 06, I was once again doing some role-playing games with my old high school friends that we've been doing for 25 years now. Every time I would get back into role-playing and, and thus back into art, because it was always connected for me, every two years or so we would, we would do another game and then we would drift away and not do it for a year and then we would do it for a year. And every time I picked up the pencils again, my art would get a little bit better and I would go, hmm, man, I, I'm actually drawing better than I used to draw. In 06, I started drawing again, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really not hating my art anymore, and I'm starting to actually think I might be able to do something with this. And I've always been a comic book fan, too, so I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really practice, and you know, I downloaded a bunch of art books. I took a couple classes at the, the local Pittsburgh Center for the Arts, I did a life drawing class for the first time in my life, and I started just trying to really apply myself, which I had never done before. It was always very casual. I never really tried to buckle down and force myself to improve. So I spent six months or eight months or almost oh, almost a year doing that. And then sometime in early 07, I think, late 06 or early 07, I was also uh, a little bit active on the Comic Geek Speak message boards. They had various sections on there, art sections and creator sections and things, as, you, as you're aware, Sean. Yeah. So I put a post up on there just looking for some writer to say, hey, I, I had progressed my art a little bit and I wanted to try sequential work because I had never really tried doing a story. I had always just character sketches or, uh, you know, single single drawings. And so I didn't have any, any scripts or anything. So I posted up a a message in, I think it was a writer's subsection or something, and I said, hey, any writers out there have a little three-page script that has some action in it that I can use as practice to, to improve my art. I got a couple responses, and the one I liked best was from uh, Rich McAuliffe, Blue Meanie, who most of your listeners will probably be familiar with, and he sent me a three-page script that was uh, two babies put by their mothers in a playpen together and the mothers left the room and as soon as the mothers left the room the babies transformed into 
Matrix style ninja fighters, and it was a three page action packed battle between these two babies, you know, using teddy bears and blocks and stuff thrown at each other, Matrix style fighting. And then when the mothers came back in the room, you saw the babies were really just sitting there, and it had all sort of happened in their minds. And uh, I drew it and I posted it up, and, and Blue Meanie liked it. And so I posted it on the uh, on the Comic Geek Speak forums, and we got a real positive response. And people were like, oh, man, that was funny. Do some more. And so Rich sent me another three-pager, and I drew it, and it sort of snowballed. We kept getting better and better responses and more feedback and more people saying, man, you got to do some more. I want to see more of this. And so when we turned around two months later, we had you know 12 or 13 pages of this. One day, uh, Rich emailed me. He said, Chad, you know, I know some guys over here at a little comic book company called uh, Orangutan Comics. And I showed them our stuff. And if we put together 22 pages of this, they'll put it out in a black and white uh, indie comic. And I said, send me scripts, man. So we put it together. And Orangutan Comics over there put it out as a 22-pager. I still have copies of that that I'm selling at conventions. Oh, yeah. I got a copy from you um, at Pittsburgh in 2007. Yeah, that was the first thing I ever had out and published. And that was about the time I started trying to reach out, and I did a a one-page or two-pager for Angry Gnome because they're local, and I sort of sent them a post saying, hey, I'm an artist. You got anything? And he sent me a, a, a two-pager, and I did that. We, I did another three-pager that was in the, the first CGS anthology. And it was right around that time that I think, I, I've forgotten even how you and I hooked up, but it was right around that time. I don't remember if I contacted you or you contacted me, but I, somehow we hooked up. I found you accidentally, stumbled, stumbled across your art on a, when Comic Space was real big, mm-hmm. when everybody was using Comic Space. And like I was still new to understanding how to put together comics and i was just like looking for an artist because mercury and the Murd was still in the whole it was still in the creative it was still in the creative process because i was literally retooling like um a, th- a thrown away idea called mercury and the mark which i got together and nobody understood you know they just thought it wasn't very funny and, th- and so i said okay i'll just retool it and i'll wait and i'll sit on it and then i met Murd. Uh, from Comic Geek Speak, and I said, okay, I said, I think I got an idea now, and that's how Mercury and the Murder came to be, and I said, okay, now I've got a, I've got a couple little scripts laid out, because once again, this was supposed to be a hobby. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and and I saw your art on Comic Space, so I was like, well, cool. I was like, let me get a hold of Chad. So I saw you on Comic Space, and I think from there, I contacted you on the comic forums, because you were on the comic forums as well, mm-hmm. and the rest is history. Yep, the re- and I've been working with you and I did uh, I've continued to do baby boomers and a year later I guess the guys from orangutan uh, over in England uh, they're in England by the way and so is uh, blue meanie rich McAuliffe. Uh, well in Wales he he would yell at me if I said England <laughs> I guess the guys from orangutan who had put out our black and white book our our, our 22 pager they had done work for and knew Harry Marcos who runs Marcosia Comics. And somehow, Marcos saw Baby Boomers, or they brought Baby Boomers to him, or Rich asked them to bring Baby Boomers to him. I don't know how it worked out. But the next thing I knew, Blue Meanie was telling me, hey, uh, Marcosia wants to talk to us about Baby Boomers. I said, okay. What, what they told us initially was 
they wanted to expand their website and they wanted to have some web comics. They said, if you if you will do a hundred pages of baby boomers in color, we will post it up on our website as an official Marcosia webcomic and we will commit that once you've completed your hundred pages and we've released them on the website, we will print it as a hard copy graphic novel type compilation under the Marcosia banner. So we entered that agreement with them, and it's taken us much longer than we thought it would ever would to do 100 pages, but we're just almost at that threshold right now. I just finished the last story that puts us at like 98 pages, and, and I need another little two-pager from Rich to to finish it up. Finding colorists has been the difficult problem, but we've we've gotten almost all of it colored at this point, and there's probably 60 or 70 pages posted up now in 10 or 15 chapters on the Marcosia website. So we're hoping that we'll see our Baby Boomers graphic novel, the 100-page graphic novel, come out at some point soon. And you, you know the history of Mercury and the Merg, where we're at. And uh, I've done some other stuff, too. I, was, uh, I participated in the Small Press Idol contest last year. And I don't think I'm going to be doing that this year, but we did a 12-page story for that. I worked with a writer named Chris Barker. Uh, I worked with uh, a writer named Nick Spencer and put together a Zuda pitch in 08 that didn't get selected for the contest. But mm-hmm. Nick Spencer has been picked up and uh, has a popular indie book. And God, if I can't, I, I'm blanking on the name of his indie book right now but if you check nick spencer he's sort of hitting the big time he's got he's got a real popular uh, indie book right now that's sort of getting a lot of good buzz i want to hop back on the sketch card thing actually before i hop back on the sketch card thing uh, what do you feel? Because every artist has their, you know, has his or her own style. What do you think your style is? If if you can name your style, what well, do you think your style is? I I think my style is evolving, and I don't know what my final style yet is going to be. <laughs> I have no illusions that I'm a finished product in terms of being a wholly molded artist yet. I'm really, I think, still at the beginning of my process, and it's kind of awkward for me because I'm way older than most of the people starting out in the field and I don't have any illusions that I'm ever going to work be working for Marvel or DC but I'm really having a good time doing what I'm doing now and I just want to keep evolving but if I can judge by my influences the art that I'm in love with that sort of pushing me is you know Kevin McGuire I love the old Art Adams stuff uh like Terry Dotson I, I prefer a linear style to a real scratchy style, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, my art is real line focused. I don't use a lot of heavy blacks, not a lot of cross hatching, and that's both out of a style choice and a lack of skill in, <laughs> in using the heavy blacks. Um, but I tend to gravitate towards brighter, cleaner artwork as opposed to dark and moody stuff. Like, my ultimate favorite, as I said, is Kevin McGuire. Mm. And, you know, I'm really trying to push my facial expression and my character acting in that direction. Uh, I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but that's that's where my style is heading, I hope. Let's see here. Now, on the back on the sketch card tip, 
I know you you know you talked about how there are Marvel cards and Star Wars cards, and you talked about with Moonstone how um, Moonstone has their like their characters that well the, the characters that they're using they allow the license out to somebody to do uh, mm -hmm. cards as well. But this stuff crosses all genres. Um, oh yeah, all, all forms of media. Um, it's not just it's not just comic books. It's not just movies. I mean, it's TV shows. It's everything. Because you told me you were also working on a Voltron set too at one time. Yeah, right? I, I just finished uh, maybe a month ago a Voltron set for again Fivefinity, and there's other sets that don't even relate to particular licenses. I just finished a, a set for uh, a company called SadLittles.com. That was just the set was called Essence of Fairyland. And the artists were instructed to draw their interpretations of, you know, fairies and angels and things like that. I just finished, literally two days ago, a set that I mailed in to, to Fivefinity called, they call it Pinups and Puppies, which was they gave us a list of dog breeds. And we had to, on each card, draw like a pinup model with a particular dog breed. Hmm. Uh, there was a set I did called Mandy, and there was a, there's a character that I guess was featured in cartoons in Playboy magazine. It was like this sort of blonde who's, you know, her you know, the bikini top was always falling off. Uh, I guess the artist who drew her name was Don Yeagle, and I guess the character is fairly famous. I only did a few cards for that set, but uh, there's all, all sorts of sets like that, and there's Doctor Who card sets that are really popular. There's Even now, it's it's uh, spilled over into some of the companies are doing sketch cards in their sports card set. There's an artist called Brian Kong who really does a lot of uh, sports-related sketch cards. Hmm. Uh, and for baseball and football and other sports, there's Star Wars. There's a lot of Star Wars cards. I would kill to get on a Star Wars set. I know Katie Cook does a lot of those, and uh, artist was at the the last super show named Tom Hodges. He does a lot of Star Wars sketch cards. Now, how, how do people like that actually get a shot to do something like that? Well, the way I understand it is you just submit your samples to the companies and keep bugging them until they have an opening and hire you. I've sent stuff to Tops and uh, Upper Deck and uh, a couple of other companies that haven't gotten any nibbles yet. Uh, but what I'm told is just keep plugging away, doing whatever sets you can do for whoever will have you do them and build up a resume for yourself. And, uh, eventually you might get your shot. Uh, I'm still hoping for that, but I'm really having a good time doing the, the sets I'm doing for these other companies. And, and besides you said, like you had mentioned tops, you had mentioned, um, upper deck, uh, the five Finity. I mean, there are a ton of companies like, isn't there also like a popular company called Rittenhouse or are they also yeah. with tops? There's a company called Rittenhouse archives that does sets. There's a company called Bragent, I think, that might... I'm not too familiar with them. They might be in England. Tops and Upper Deck. I think Tops and Upper Deck have the big licenses, like the Star Wars and uh, Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've worked for a little company called Monster Wax that does, like, horror cards and, and some funny cards. I did two card sets for them, one called Urban Legends and one called uh, Shock Stories. And there's not a boatload of companies that do sketch cards. But the other thing a lot of artists do is make up their own personal card stock and just do their own cards. And I've done that, too. I, I, I designed some of my own card stack, stock that has a bio on the back. And I had, uh, you know, 500 copies of it printed out. Mm -hmm. And 
after I got active on the scoundrel boards after Heroes Con last year, I started just advertising for commissions on there. And I'll tell you, over the last year since Heroes Con, I've done far more sketch card commission work than I ever have done in regular sort of comic, regular size commission work. Wow. And I'm charging $20 a pop for a full color sketch card. You know, I'm not overwhelmed, but I've been doing pretty steady commission work since since Heroes Con last year. And not only that, with the whole sketch card thing, I mean, you have people not just requesting head sketches. I mean, sometimes you'll have action shots. And oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's real various. And that's what I think what amazes me with sketch, sketch cards as a whole, how somebody can take a sketch card or even like a, now granted, 4 by 6 is much bigger than a, your standard sketch card and put so much detail into it. Because you did a Spider-Man sketch card when we were at Mid-OhioCon together. Spider-Man, has a, to me, has a very, um, you know, you have to be artistic to be able to draw the Spider-Man costume because there are a ton of lines um, mm, yeah. in, in Spidey's costume. And to do that in such a small frame and do like a background of the city that he's swinging in, that's a lot of color and a lot of, a lot of coloring, a lot of detail. It's nothing simple. I mean, that's a lot of work. I find the coloring to be the most challenging part because, uh, as I think I've probably told you before, on on the scale of art skill, penciling, I think I'm making some progress, and I'm um, I'm not hating my penciling stuff anymore. Inking, I'm less skilled as, as an inker than I am as a penciler. I'm making a little bit of progress there, and coloring as a colorist, I'm I have the least the least skill. So. As I'm doing a sketch card, doing the pencil sketch, I'm starting to get comfortable inking it. Uh, I'm feeling my way a little bit and coloring it. I'm definitely not real skilled. And although I, I can do a decent job in Photoshop, working with markers uh, is still pretty new to me. So coloring is the most difficult part. But I'm learning, I'm learning the techniques, you know. And there's the, the funny thing is there's a lot of artists who now have little web shows where they broadcast themselves and people can watch them doing their art. Katie Cook has done it. I, I watched her draw on a couple Star Wars sketch cards a couple weeks ago. Uh, there's an artist called Otis Frampton who has a, a web show and he broadcasts practically every night and he just draws commission after commission. And, you know, the people who order the commission can watch him draw it. I've, ha I've done that a few times. I have a uh, there's something called the Artcast Network that I'm a part of, and I don't do it as frequently as a lot of other artists, but I have a little webcam, and I've actually broadcast myself doing some art, and a couple times people who ordered commissions from me seem to get a kick out of watching me draw their commission right live on the web. Hmm. I, I just, I just, to me, that, that just, that's just crazy. <laughs> that is absolutely crazy, because I guess because... For me, I'm so used to hearing people talk about sequential artists and cover, cover artists. Mm -hmm. I had no idea the sketch card market was as big as it is. I mean, it's it's as big that you know there are like big guns in the sketch card in the sketch card market too. You know, like say for instance, like I guess like you know how you have a guy like Adam Hughes who's big doing covers mm -hmm. for, for DC, you have that type of person also in the sketch card market. I mean, it's not Adam Hughes' art, but what I mean, what I mean, mean is, is that there are people who know this guy, they say the name, and they will pay for that sketch card. Oh, yeah. Uh, like I mentioned, that artist Brian Kong, I think he commands pretty decent prices for his sketch cards. And you mentioned Adam Hughes. He has done sketch cards. I mean, a lot of the big comic artists have done, like, they certainly don't do a lot of them because they can make generate more income doing larger uh, larger work. But uh, I've seen Adam Hughes sketch cards. Oh, okay. see, I had no idea. I mean, I, seriously, no idea whatsoever. Well, Adam Hughes has a connection because his 
I don't know if it's his wife or his 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 partner. I guess her name's Allison. Allison Sohn, I think, is her name. Uh, she is very big in the sketch cards. She did a panel at the last Pittsburgh Con about sketch cards that I uh, that I sat in on, and she does a lot of sketch card work. I received our copies of Mercury and the Murd, uh, uh, the trade paperback, Volume 1, Collateral Damages today. How'd it come out? It looks fantastic. Can't wait to get my grubby little hands on a copy. <laughs> yes, yes, you will. It's it's wonderful, seriously. The cover's nice, um, very thick book, beautiful sequentials. What's what's cool is, is that when you get the book, you will definitely see a progression from the first issue that you worked on all the way to the most current issue. Um, which is a new story that nobody's ever seen before. I mean, from like pencils to inks, there is, it's such, it's, it's a beautiful trans, it's a beautiful progression. Well, that's what I'm hoping people have the patience to get to the end because I, I'm beginning to not like looking at the old stuff anymore. <laughs> well, well, that's, you know, you're an artist, man. You know, you're an artist and artists, just like writers and whoever, you know, we just strive to always be our best every single time. And, and sometimes, you know, we're also our own worst enemies and own, and, and worst critics. I look at the old stuff. I look at, like, issues one and issues three. And, and to me, you know, they're not bad at all. I do enjoy them. But I can definitely tell a difference between the beginning, what, we've, what we started with, and where we're at now. It's two different worlds. Yeah. It, it's two different worlds. And that's not saying that the old stuff is bad because it's not. It's just that we're in a new place now. But also, you've got your sequential stuff down now. You've got – you definitely – You've got the whole shading and ink stuff down to a science now. So it, it trust me, people who, who cop the book at Super Show are definitely going to enjoy it. Well, I'm very interested to see how it came out. Oh, Can't I, wait. <laughs> well, trust me. I got a copy for you. Shoot, for all the work you've done for Yeah. You, you, yeah <laughs> you, you, trust me, you got a copy coming to you. I'm really starting to look forward to Super Show. Oh, Everybody seems to be getting very hyped up. Yeah. A lot of plans being made. Oh, yeah. That, folks are getting real excited. I'm uh, wrangling up the last of the stuff for the raffle for the, for, the, for PKD Media. I'm, I'm raffling off a few things. Um, you know, some artists are contributing original art. Um, Andy Jewett is contributing a cover that he did for issue, uh, for issue, one, two, three, four, for issue six. Um, you know, the, the last story that we did, he, uh -huh. did a, he did a cover for it. And he's like, I'll give you the original piece of art and you can put that in your raffle. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And uh, Charpar has got an original piece of art, like the print that he made for Agents of Cult slash Black's Danger in Space. Mm -hmm. He made an exclusive piece of art for that, and he's selling a print for like two bucks. But he's but we're all, we're raffling off the original piece of art as well. And I also have a graphics tablet. It's a generic Wacom. It's called a Vista tablet. Mm -hmm. Never used. I opened up the box once. Because I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn how to draw. And after I learn how to draw, I start learning how to, to learn how to draw on a tablet. It's not going to happen for a very long time. <laughs> for a very long time. So I'm putting that in the raffle. I have some like old, like uh, some col collector's edition um, DC Comics Batman pins. And um, also Donnie is donating some autographed comics, including, I think, a Mike Zek autographed copy of Secret Wars issue 12. Nice. So we're trying. I'm trying to, you know, build a nice raffle because what I'm trying to do is, is just like raise money for PKD Media and stuff. So, and also I told, I, I said I would give uh, CGS some money back in return too, a l little bit in return. So, and uh, try to like spread out a little bit to some of y'all as well. So, 
I, I just really want this show to go off without a hitch. I, I really do. Well, I, I am going to have, uh, I made a, a, one, a new print, a special Super Show uh, commemorative print, which is, uh, uh, I, I donated a, a commission as part of the CGS early, buy your ticket early raffle contest. Left Coast Love won mine. And so he asked for a, a Spidey swinging over San Francisco. And it actually, I thought, came out pretty well. And so I scanned it in and digitally colored it and turned it into a print uh, that I'm going to have with me at Super Show. Nice. Uh, I have some small ones and some large ones and a bunch of other prints and uh, my books and things and a binder full of sketch cards. See if I can generate any interest in that. And this con, for the first time, I will be bringing original art pages there's i posted up on the forum asking if anybody would be interested and there was at least a couple people who said they would be interested in original art pages so i'm going to bring some baby boomers pages and mercury and the Merd pages and maybe some other pages and my process is i do i don't ink over the pencils i scan the pencils and print out blue lines so i will have multiple many many pages because i have both a pencil version and an inked version for every page i've ever done <laughs> awesome That's cool cool well I, I plan to uh, get a couple of those from you and uh, our marketing director also plans to get a couple from a few a few from you as well so uh well, I, w I should have quite a number so there will be a good selection <laughs> if anybody's interested well, fantastic sweet I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while, Chad, and I was just like, well, what better time, uh, what better time to do so uh, than with Super Show on, on around the band? And also, we got Pittsburgh Com Comic Con coming up in April, so we'll be together for that. Um, and then we take like a, we take a month apart from each other in May. I'll be going to Summit City in May. Then we meet back up at Heroes Con in June. I'll be interested to hear how that Summit City Con goes. It's uh, A lot of the podcasts are hyping it. I mean, I listen to round comics and john suntress's show and everybody seems to be uh pushing that summit city con and it sounds like there's going to be a good group of artists and comic folks there it should be cool but i'm like i said i'm glad that finally took time to get you on the show because i wanted people to know the man behind mercury and the murd because there is no mercury in the murd <laughs> without you chad so well w one of let's not discount the contributions of Dave DeWanch and uh, the others who have oh, done no. some artwork on it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not discounting them at all. I'm not discounting uh, Andy Jewett or Flint Lockjaw or Julian Lytle or Katie Cook's, do you know, donated something. No, 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 no. Now, I, who did, uh, hang on, who did the cover for the collected volume we're going to have um, Super Show? For the trade, that was uh, Bill Blankenship okay. with uh, co colors by Eric White. Bill did the pencils and inks. And the colors were by Eric on both the Mercury and the Murr trade paperback and the Agents of Cult trade paperback. They made that look beautiful. Well, the, the web preview I saw or the, the images you've posted look pretty good. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I look at it like this. You know, I got to do all I can to make sure that these books sell and I got to catch people's attention. And what with what Bill did um, with both of those covers, not only are they wonderful covers and what's inside the books you know, it's fantastic too. That's something that catches people's eye. That's something I can put on a banner and people will like stop and look at it. So, and that's what I want to do. You know, when we're at conventions, you got to do all you can to get people's attention without, you know, hopping over the table and pulling, <laughs> and pulling people over, you know, and that's, that's just not me, you know, that's, that's not my style. So I want to make sure I do something or not, I do something, something, but have something visually effective to make people say, Ooh, what's that? And come on over. 
and then after that, it's uh, it's up to me to make that sale. And I'm debating uh, debating what type of candy I'll be bringing for the table. Oh, by the way, people, Chad is a candy junkie during conventions. Um, only only during conventions. <laughs> he, he loves, uh, I think, dum dums. Those dum dum suckers. Mm-hmm. So if you see him at a convention. And if you give him some dumb, like a bag of dumb, dumb suckers, he will be your friend for life. <laughs> um, just so you know. And just be careful when he gets on a sugar rush. Now, granted, when he gets on one, he could probably do about 20 sketch cards in two minutes. Well, the <laughs> reason I bring them is to draw people to the table. <laughs> but I end up eating most of them myself. Yes, you do. But that, that's okay. I, I, you, just, you burn off that energy doing sketch cards. I think every photograph taken of me at the Pittsburgh Con last year, I had a sucker in my mouth. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. You got to the point where even Donnie was like, man, look, um, you need to <laughs> you cut gotta back. You got to cut back, man. <laughs> uh, well, Chad, thank you for coming on. And I do, I seriously, man, I appreciate everything that you do. Sean, for thank us, you man. for having me. As you know, I'm a big fan of PKD Media, and I've been enjoying the PKD Black Box since you started it. I'm pleased to have now been a guest. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I can, I can tick that off my bucket list. So, Zach, what got you inspired to actually create comics? Ah, uh, to be honest with you, I don't even know. I mean, it's just, it's always been something that's sort of innate for me, I guess you could say. Because, you know, I've read, I've always read comics, like always. My parents started buying me comics and like comic based like books, like uh, the book and record sets with like the Super Friends and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. So, I've always had comic stuff around. And I've just always been infatuated by it, fascinated by it. So it's always been something that's there. And I used to, um, when I was in middle school, I did some stuff like some, obviously not published things, but you know, I, I made I had my own comic strip that was that was a story about me and some friends, and I submitted it for some like winter festival of writing or something like that. I won it, and got like went to some writing retreat and got like a bunch of extra credit for my English class and basically from that point forward is when I decided you know I should try to write things for a living uh, when I actually grow up so so I'm actually writing things now I just need to grow up but uh, <laughs> but but so it's like I said it's always it's been something that's just you know innate for me I've just always wanted to do it with the contingent um, with the contingent now, for for those that don't know, you can get a copy of the contingent issues one through four, correct? Or is it one, one through, through three? On on MDC? Yeah, on mydigitalcomics.com, Yes. Yeah, uh, one through three, four will go up uh, next month. Okay, cool. So you can get issues one through three right now. Now I've read issues one through two, uh, one through two before uh, before hopping on the podcast today, and after reading it and uh, learning about the lead character Miguel and the uh, school that he has been um, brought to. It's kind of like a school for uh, superpowered kids. I guess you could say in a high school, in a high school type environment, but it's a uh, selective school per se. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting a X-Men, I'm getting kind of like an X-Men vibe, but also at the same time, I know it's not, you know, it's not like an X-Men ripoff. It's not like watching, say for instance, what was that uh, movie with uh, Tim Allen and Courtney Cox uh, that was a Zoom or something, Zoom Academy? Or? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Very bad, very bad. So you know, I, I just you know, because it just looked like a ripoff from like every every generic superhero movie that's come out over the years, as compared to the good ones. But with the contingent, there's something deep. There's something you know underlying deep within the surface of the story, as as how Miguel's powers 
are starting to grow and progress and everybody else's powers are starting to grow and progress and the characters have a lot of personality. What was like the creative force behind getting the contingent together? I'll try to I'll try to make it relatively brief. It's kind of funny because I like five years ago I had written a western that still hasn't been drawn. It's just been shelved. And uh, I was looking for a place to publish it and uh, get someone to draw it and work on it. And Cameron Merkler, uh, the store owner at DCBS, said he would do it. You know, once it was ready to go. And anyway, long story short, that book fell through. And Cam says, "Well, hey, I've got a couple of ideas for things. If you if you take, you know, my base idea." and flesh it out and make it something, then I'll publish it. So so he says, so he had the idea of, you know, getting kids together at a school or whatever. And my first thought to him was, my first thing I said to him was like, you know what, I hate the X-Men, dude. <laughs> I was like, I hate the X-Men. He's like, well, it doesn't have to be the X-Men. I was like, I was like, I know, I'm just telling you right now, like, I hate the X-Men. So, uh, <laughs> but I got to thinking about it and I went home and it, you know, it basically, it was an opportunity for me to, um, not only just write a book and you know and actually get it published, but to create and write characters that I could relate to when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. And uh, basically just tell stories about characters that I could, you know, personally get invested in. So so creatively that's where it all started. You know, he gave me this base, very basic idea as a as a jumping on point, and then I took it from there. Um, and effectively the school just sort of becomes um, a plot device to to get all these different personalities and these different characters together. So that's where it's that's where it started. And then you know, uh, in terms of other you know creative influence and things like that, you know, obviously I've made no secret about the fact that I'm very very heavily influenced by Steve Ditko and um, and the types of characters he created and and uh, the personalities that they had and that sort of thing. So that's really how it all sort of just meshed together into what it is and what it is becoming. The only Steve Ditko stuff I really know is the you know classic Spider-Man stuff. I mean, there was a period of time during the 80s and 90s he hopped on like a couple of Marvel books, just doing like an issue here or there. As a matter of fact, I just uh, I just found an old copy of uh, when Marvel was redoing What If again in like the late 80s, early 90s, and it was the What If Iron Man Was a Traitor issue. It was Steve Ditko did all the interiors. Yeah. And it, it kind of like threw me off for a sec during the 80s and early 90s. You know, that type of style in comic books for the general public was passe. Yeah. And when I saw that, it kind of like threw me back a minute. I'm like, wait a minute, when did this book come out? And then I looked, I was like, oh. And I, was, and I didn't know that Marvel and Steve Ditko were still working together at that time. You know, yeah. it's just something I just didn't really think about. His style is definitely unique to this day. That's a style that cannot be duplicated at all. Like, what... What in what like you know I guess gets you hype or makes you enjoy his work or his in, you know or what influences you to enjoy that so much? Uh, well, first and foremost is just the art style. I mean, I I love his art. Um, now it's not to uh, to be fair, and uh, you know once the '80s rolled around and Steve started to get a little bit older and his you know his anatomy started to um, slip a little bit on, which is understandable for a man his age. You know his lines weren't as tight, but you know if you go back and you look at the, the Spider-Man stuff, or if you look at the stuff that he was doing for Charlton or um, the stuff he was doing at DC, and especially his self-published work, especially his self-published work, um, it's just 
a fascinating uh, artist to to read his uh, to read his work. I have I have that big amazing Spider Man omnibus, you know. And I kid you not, I've never read one word in the whole book. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I I have. I have a few qualms with uh, with Stan, but that has nothing to do with the reason I haven't read any of the words. It's the fact that the words are unnecessary. He's just such a he's such a wonderful storyteller, such a great storyteller. So it's that that was that was when I how I first fell in love with Steve. And then um, as I got older and had a little bit more disposable income, I started buying up the old Charlton stuff, and you know, so the Question and the Blue Beetle stuff, and then some of his. Uh, self-published works, and he just creates these really just fascinating and bizarre and strange characters that obviously, you know, personify his own feelings about the world and um, how people should act and what's right and what's wrong. And whether you agree with that or disagree with that, to me, is, you know, it doesn't matter. You should just read the stories and accept them for the art and, and that they are. And uh, when you do, when you look at it that way, they're just just uh, remarkable pieces of, of work. So, so that being the case, I try to take what I always like about Steve, Steve's work and his characters, and then sort of meld that into what I did for the contingent. Um, not, you know, rip off those characters. Obviously, I would never do that, especially not to someone whose work I admire so much. But, but to take those basic ideas and work with them and play with them in the same sort of artistic setting, so to speak. But yeah, it's really. He's just a fascinating uh, person to read. It, it, you can't. Uh, I, I've heard it said before that you know it doesn't. His books aren't ones that um, demand your attention. They're books that grab you by the throat and slam you against the wall and force you or enforce themselves upon you. Like, like you have to read them. You have to get invested with them. You have to experience them. They're difficult just to flip through and set down. You know, yes. there's always going to be one page that you grab. And say, what the hell is this? Holy cow! You know, yeah. So that, so that's sort of, uh, in a nutshell, sort of how you know Steve has really influenced me and what I think of him. But uh, yeah, he's just a, a wonderful artist. See, it's funny you mention um, the Blue Beetle stuff. Now, was he responsible for doing the artwork for the Ted Cord Blue Beetle? Yeah, he created he created the Ted Cord Blue Beetle for Charlton. Hot damn! See. I knew I seen I knew I, I knew I seen Ditko do Blue Beetle somewhere. I was just like, what, what did he do the Garrett Blue Beetle or was it the uh, Ted Cord Blue Beetle? And I know I've seen a pinup somewhere, which is basically somebody just like uh, photocopied a Ditko Blue Beetle cover, and I was just like, well, that's pretty cool. But I didn't know he actually did interiors too. Yeah, yeah, he created Ted Cord, um, and uh, obviously he created the question too, and that's sort of where that that's that's where Alan Moore. And Watchmen got that relationship between uh, Rorschach and Night Owl because Night Owl obviously was Blue Beetle, mm-hmm. and Rorschach was uh, Moore's mock-up of the question. So that's sort of um, where that relationship between those two characters originates is the is the Ditko Beetle and uh, Question stories. It, it always makes me wonder how Watchmen would have been if they if uh, Moore would have been allowed to use the uh, Charlton characters. Yeah, I always wonder about that too. Similar, but yeah, I mean, but we wouldn't have. The memories we have now of the JLI and some other stuff that we have, because I mean, basically, I mean, the Charlton character that we know the most is Beetle's been pretty much the main Charlton character that's been their big guy since basically that's ended. Uh, I mean, Adam was big for a little while. The question's gone hot and cold, depending on the time. 
depending on the year sometimes. But uh, I was going to ask, Zach, what other writers have really influenced you? Well, uh, obviously there's Steve. And, uh, you know, it's funny is uh, I'm more influenced by artists than I am writers, which I, I might sound funny as, as a writer. But um, because uh, I, I want to um, be able to – I want to take what an artist can produce on a page – and sort of try to generate that same sort of feeling uh, with readers, that same sort of emotional resonance, if that makes any sense. Um, now, whether yeah. I've been successful with that, that or not, is that's a whole other issue altogether. But, but my ultimate goal is to sort of create the same emotional resonance on the comic book page that, that artists are able to do. So if I can somehow get someone to feel the same way that I, f- that I felt when I read you know, Amazing Spider-Man 33 for the first time, or if I can get someone to feel the same way I felt, you know, reading uh, the Cook adaptation of uh, Parker the Hunter, you know, then then I've sort of accomplished my my ultimate goal, because you you look at those pages, the writer is obviously very very important, but the writer basically sets up the skeleton for the artist to create something that people really attach themselves to. It's not it's it's so different from prose. You know, if it were if it were prose, then I'm sure you know I would throw out you know 50 different you know writers. I would say you know Heinlein and uh, I, I don't know, I can't think of, I can't even think of another one. But if it were prose, it'd be different. But but if yeah, but if it uh, if it were prose, it'd be different. But since it's comics, you know, I mean my 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 go-to people are artists. So you know Kirby and Ditko and and Cook, um, all these different people. I mean even Alan Moore, you know, I love his stuff, but. And it's, he does wonderful things. I'm less influenced by Alan Moore than uh, I am by Jack Kirby. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, th- those are the guys that really made their mark on me. And and when I was younger and more impressionable with comics, I mean, those are the people that that got me invested in comics. Because when I was first buying them, I wasn't reading the damn things. I was looking through with you know looking at the pictures <laughs> oh, because because yeah. either a I couldn't read or b I just was too lazy to read it you know i just wanted to look at the the great stories i mean there's a reason i kept buying dark there's a reason i kept buying dark hawk you know it (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't for the the you know the brilliant writing it was because i just liked looking at pictures of dark hawk you know in sequential order so So it sounds like you love it sounds like you love love the writer the most yeah yeah really i do i mean that's why i mean like I said, you know, Cook, Ditko, Kirby, you know, uh, th- those guys are my are my biggest heroes, you know. As a kid, I bought a lot of John Byrne books, you know, simply for the artwork and and not the story. Perfect example is uh, the Legends miniseries. That was oh, that. That was, yeah. but see, but that was the book that really got me hype on buying comics um, as a kid. Cause like you know, I would get them on and off, on and off, on and off as a child. But when my dad started taking me to the comic book store, Legends first came out. Cause I kind of got in Crisis on Infinite Earths, got it haphazardly. You know, I would get an issue here, bend dive somewhere, get another issue later. Because you know, in my neighborhood, comic book stores were scarce, and unless my parents took me out of town. I couldn't really get books, and there weren't a lot of conventions in our neighborhood. But when we actually got a shop, Legends had just come out, and it was like his style like got me so hyped. I was like, oh, this is cool. And it was so vibrant for me, that pulled me in. 
it pulled me in more than the story itself. I could, you know, I care less about what John Ostrander was writing back then. I read it now. It's a different story. I'm older. And now I look at it from the artistic side and from the writing side and now from the pacing side. But there's still always that child inside of me that just says, look at the pictures, man. Look at that spread of of the, well, the then Justice League with uh, Martian Manhunter vibe, Gypsy, Steel. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, let's look at that team. You know, and yeah, and people joke about it. And I and I have a tendency on this show to always talk about JLA, JLA Detroit. I can't help it. I am sorry. I love that team. <laughs> and I will, I, will, I will never apologize for it again. But, no, I understand completely what you're saying. Yeah, I was like, hey, you can't rag on Legends. It gave us JLI and it relaunched uh, Wonder Woman and re-solidify. I mean, it was the big event after Crisis. So. Yep. Oh, yeah. I won't knock it at all. Trust me. Believe, yeah. <laughs> believe me. I won't knock. I searched high and low and found finally found a Legends trade paperback <laughs> three months ago. So I could finally get rid of, uh, you know, my single issues that were decrepit and I read from front to back. So I was going to say that they released that right around the time Secret Invasion hit. If you never look at the Invasion trade, it says not so secret anymore. Yeah, because it came out the same time Secret Invasion was out. And Legends came, put they put that trade out right before that. Yeah, I got I, man. I bought that Invasion trade. I wish I'd never done that, man. I have that in singles. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, see, okay, see, because once again, going off tangent, I apologize, Zach. I should have. No, 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 one. don't apologize to me. Um, I bought the Invasion trade for the simple fact I didn't read it when it came out when I was younger, and I was real curious about it. And it had all these people on, like Bill Mantlo, McFarlane, and all this stuff. So I'm like. You know, this is pretty cool. Let, let me let me check this out. So I got it because I got it from DCBS, dirt cheap, you know, <laughs> you know, when it was solicited. So I was like, I can't go wrong. Let me try it. And I got it. Big mistake. Yeah, it was a big, 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 big mistake, buddy. I could have bought four books instead and been <laughs> much happier. Nothing happened in the book because all the crossovers <laughs> had the important information. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, but you gotta admit the creepiest looking villains, aliens, have got to be the scion. Not, uh, not the scions, the uh, one that's on the cover of that. I can never. God, what is the hell? They, the Manhunters? No, no, not the Manhunters. Remember the one that Booster Gold stole the pieces to get the gun to shoot uh, Skeets? Oh. Yeah, it's the. They're on the front. They've got that real. They're the yellow ones with the discs in the head. Not scions, something like that. And they got the real big, huge teeth. Okay, I know what you're talking about. I yeah, know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, those oh, did sorry. look creepy. Yeah, they got the, like the big red circle on their forehead. Yeah, they're the big enemy of the Legion in the future yeah. too. Okay, yeah, because anytime yeah. McFarlane drew those dudes, they looked real creepy. Mm-hmm. I knew I was in trouble when I started reading that series, and we and they went through the first like ten to twelve pages, breaking down all the alien races that you know wanted to, 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 to like invade and take over stuff. I'm like, I have not seen one superhero yet. We are in trouble. And then the first group they really talk about is the Omega Men. Now, I'm not knocking the Omega Men because if, if you dig it, you dig it. I never understood it, and I never got into it. But once I saw the Omega Men, I'm like, these are the first heroes you're showing me? Oh, we in trouble. We are in trouble. <laughs> but don't forget that was when Omega Men and Legion 89 were coming out. Yeah. That's when it was. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Oh, I was so hurt. When I after yeah. I finished reading, and I was sick that weekend. I stayed. I was in bed sick the weekend I read that. It did not make me feel any better. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, okay. Let, okay. I'm, 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 I'm going to get the train back over the track. Yeah. <laughs>
didn't have a question as that. Now, you, since you are a writer guy who's big into the writer artist, what do you think about uh, what Boom has been doing with Androids and Electric Sheep? Uh, you know what? I know what they're doing with it, but uh, I have not read it. I think it's a really interesting concept. I would like to see it, uh, you know, to its uh, tell it finishes out. Yeah, completion. I wanted to say fruition, but I was like, that's not the right word because it's already come to fruition. Um, <laughs> but I, I would think- like, I would like to see oh, it when it's done. I mean, it's it's an interesting concept, but it almost seems as though it's something that I don't know if I. Having never read the book, I don't know how it works in a serialized format. You know, I mean, I've seen Blade Runner, but I don't know how how the story would work in a serialized format like that when it's not a comic adaptation like the Stephen King stuff. You know, when it's just straight up just the prose with uh, sequential art. So I don't know. I have I, I have no opinion of it. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they're doing the twenty four issues, then they're going to do six trades, and then they're probably going to do the Uber Omnibus edition that will probably sell like hotcakes in the uh, book market. Yeah, I, I have to believe that that's that's the ultimate goal with that, you know, is not the not the direct market, but the book market with something like that. Because I mean, that's where I think that's where they would find most of their audience. No. Yeah, especially if they can get Scholastic to take that up. Because I mean, that's what made Boom. I mean, made Bone. If they can get the uh, Scholastic market, especially. Yeah. See, and like I haven't read enough Philip K. Dick stuff to really like go knee deep and actually commit some cash to it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm curious, but at the same time, I'm apprehensive. Yeah, see, that's that was kind of my outlook with it too. Is you know, I I haven't read enough uh, of the stuff, and frankly, I haven't read any of the stuff to say yes, I will definitely commit to this book for two years. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I just don't know enough about have, it. Have you ever read any Larry Niven? No, I was going to say a lot of those uh, big sci-fi writers of the late '70s and early '80s were influenced by Dick and all that. So you can see some of the, and a lot of, and King, I know, is influenced heavily by Dick. Now, well, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You got another I was going to say, I was going to move on to one of the next topics on Diamond. I mean, divorcing yourself from the way you have to deal with Diamond as a, uh, for your job. I mean, what has been really your dealings with Diamond and Haven and all of them? Fine, really. I mean, you know, it's there's there's a lot of folks who get really frustrated with Diamond, and rightfully so. I mean, I'll be the first to say that Diamond does a lot of shitty and dumb things that just I don't understand. But on the other hand, you know, my personal dealings with them, while not necessarily successful for me, you know, weren't bad. I, I can't really complain about them too much. The thing that, that sucks about their new purchase minimums is that it's... You know, it keeps a lot of people like Sean and myself out of the catalog. I mean, it just automatically excludes us, which automatically shuts us off from the 3,000 or 3,500 retailers that are out there, right? right. Well, shuts us off, quote unquote. But it, uh, for all intents and purposes, shuts us off. I mean, that sucks so bad. On, on the other hand, from a business perspective, I it's hard to argue with Diamond's rationale in that when they were when their purchase minimums were lower, you know, they had a catalog that was chock full of indies, right? Well, chock full, I use the term loosely. Mm-hmm. You know, that back section was much, much thicker. Uh, you know, those books would get low to no sales, and then Diamond would send the purchase order to the publisher, and the publisher would say, uh, no way. We're not 
you know, we, we can't afford to print this. We didn't sell enough books to even justify the printing cost. So then, so then they don't send the books. The retailers don't get the books, which, of course, encourages the retailers to not buy more indies later down the line because they said, well, I'm not getting books from publishers A, B, and C. Why should I try D, E, and F? So, so there's that. And then the fact that Diamond has manpower and, and overhead involved in listing all those products and getting them out to retailers when they actually do fill. So, so it makes sense that you know, as, as sales numbers dip for comics across the board, that they have to cut back on overhead. And one of the ways that they can do that is to increase their purchase minimums. So, I mean, I understand why Diamond does it. It just sucks <laughs> so bad because there are guys like Sean and I that will put the book out there and we're going to make sure that the retailers get it. We're going to make sure that, that Diamond gets it so they can get it to the retailers. Uh, but there's plenty others who are just willing to say the hell with it if they don't sell, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand copies of a book. Yeah. My issue was was that before they changed the minimums and whatnot, I always thought it was a crapshoot as far as an indie publisher getting their book in previews, because depending on who you talk to or who your who your rep was or what committee looked over your book before it, you know, before it got accepted or not. You would look at some of the books and previews, and this isn't a knock on, you know, or any certain titles or anything. You would look at some of those books and say, okay, you got in, but how did you get in? Yeah. Or, you know, and you're not trying to be judgmental. You're honestly not. I mean, I know because, you know, you and your creative team put in work. And, you yep. know, you have a nice-looking comic. You, you're going a professional route. It's a professional comic. It's well put together. It's delivered on time. There you go. And, and with and I had the issue when I first put out um, a Mercury and the Murd book um, for you know and I, and I submitted it to Diamond. I even went all the way through saying, well, look, I test marketed this book, I, I sold it on DCBS, I sold it on Heroes Corner, I did X amount of uh, marketing for this book, I sold X amount of copies, and you know we did pretty well for only like hitting this market by getting this book put in you know in previews. It can only get better, and I can continue to promote the book even more. And they just said thank you, but no thank you. Yeah, and, and I, you know, that's that's one of, that was one of the frustrations I had too when I was first dealing with it because when I first started talking to them, it was sort of iffy whether they wanted to carry it or not because it was a single issue. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it was a three dollar or three fifty price point uh, at retail and selling it to them for you know fifty um, percent off or sixty percent off whatever it was. You know, that made it really difficult to to meet those those purchase minimums. I mean. Okay. Nearly impossible. Um, so yeah, so I, I I don't know what the criteria is either, and it seems like you said you know, it's almost like it's very subjective, and it depends on who you get on what day, and then um, who's willing or who's willing or who can sway who when they when their committee or whatever looks at those. But yeah, I mean, to play devil's advocate a little bit too, you know, and just from personal experience because my book was in the catalog, is getting those. Where Diamond does know what they're talking about, it it hurts to say this, but what what they do know what they're talking about is with the market. I I contacted 300 indie-friendly retailers, right? 300 of them, and then plus several others, and of course all my local retailers and retailers that you know were in Indianapolis, and um, I'm in Fort Wayne, obviously, but Mm -hmm. so you know, in major more major metropolitan areas that were near enough for me to drive to, hit them all up. Had promo copies, had preview, co- um, you know, uh, ash cans, 
of the sec I had I had I gave them a promo copy of the first issue and Ashcan of the second issue to say, hey, look, I'm still we're still doing this. It's going to come out if obviously provided that Diamond didn't cancel it. Mm-hmm. Um, here here are these. Take a look. I think if you read them, uh, you know you'll enjoy them, or you'll at least be able to find you know you know two or three customers to buy them, right? Yeah. And after all of that, all of the phone calls, all of the emails, all of the money I spent on mailing, and all that kind of stuff, you know, the numbers still weren't there. And I, th- I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there are just a lot of retailers who, and somewhat understandably, I guess, they don't want to give space to people like you and me when they have when they've got Spider-Man and Batman and whatever else that they know is going to sell. You know, I mean that that is such valuable real estate on those shelves that uh, they just that Marvel and DC and the, the books that they know are going to sell just gobble it up. I mean, Jesus! I mean, look at look at the Vertigo books. I mean, Vertigo puts out you know books that are five to ten times better, in my opinion, than the average DC mainstream book. But those Vertigo books, who are published by the same publisher who put out Batman and Green Lantern, self you know. For all intents and purposes, for crap, you know. I mean, th- those numbers are do not indicate how good those books are, and, and the level of quality. But it's just the fact that they they don't have Green Lantern on the cover, or they don't have Batman on the cover. Retailers don't don't think that way, you know. And naively, I di- I thought that that was just baloney. I was like, you know, if you get put the book in people's hands, they're going to buy it, you know. But our retailers will buy it. But they, but they don't, you know. And and the ones that do are some of the best out there, really. I mean, I'm not talking about DCBS. I'm not talking about where I work. There are some fantastic, awesome, really good retailers out there who go out there and they, they're the people that are keeping books like Scalped from from going away, you know. But um, it's just there, there's only three thousand of them, and you got to sell to twenty one hundred of them just to keep your book in the catalog. So uh, from that point of view, I mean, I think Diamond at least kind of knows what they're talking about a little bit. I mean, it, it's horrible news to hear, and you never want to hear it, but but um, they they have the numbers to back them up, you know. Yeah, I'm not trying to bring the room down <laughs> oh, at no, all. No, no, I'm sorry. no, no, no. Trust me, from somebody that's that's has, that's experienced it, I know. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. You, you're not hurting my feelings, but. It's so frustrating. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. Hopefully, John doesn't get tired of us bitching about the industry stuff and, and the you know the the frustrations of indie comics. But it is so frustrating because you know that your stuff is good. You know, you know that you've poured your heart into it, and you know that you've done at least you feel like you've done it right, or as right as you as your ability allows you to at that given moment. You know. It's not. It's not. It's not even a rejection. It, it's. It's. Uh, it's showing up to the race and saying, "Ah, nope, I'll fall." You know, we're not. We're not taking on any more competitors today. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? I trained for like <laughs> for like six years, and I got here five minutes late. What's What's happening? Uh, it's. Uh, I'm a process junkie, not a nut. So I love hearing about them. That's why me and Mayo trade emails all the time whenever the stuff comes out, the numbers. So, Yeah. 
I mean, like I said, I mean, you got you got to remember that there's there's thirty five hundred, three thousand to thirty five hundred retailers out there, you know, and ninety five percent of them aren't ordering anything past Marvel and DC, and even in the Marvel and DC stuff, they're only ordering the books that they are, are guaranteed to sell or they feel like they're guaranteed to sell. It's 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 a difficult mindset to crack. But the good thing is, is you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of retail. Uh, retailers and readers out there who go out of their way to seek out this sort of thing at conventions or through uh, online stores or buying it from you know someplace like uh, Kablam or Comics Press or something like that. So so at least that's that's the glimmer of hope for, oh, yeah. for small press. Yeah, there's always hope. It's just consistently getting people to understand that there are other resources out there and yep. and breaking the perception of like Steve Bryant broke it down on Twitter a while ago. Breaking that perception of people saying, you know, I don't know if I, if I want to buy this indie comic because I don't know if they're, if they're going to be around. You're yep. perpetuating the cycle by doing that. Yep. <laughs> if, if you buy it, there's a, a stronger possibility of the book coming back than you not buying it at all. Exactly. It, no, that that Steve's exactly right, and you know, and just even to add to that point, I would reiterate the thing that I said before, where Diamond was listing, you know, more indies, and then they would send the purchase orders out, and the and the publisher would say, "Nah, the hell with it," you know. Um, I you know, you understand it from a business perspective from those publishers, but you know that that plays into that same mentality, man. That I mean, that that's what encourages those those readers who have been burned to say that. So it, it's just the whole thing's just a mess. But it's like I said. I mean, that's the nice thing for for places like that are that are print on demand because you know that you're going to get it. You don't have to worry about meeting up, you know, a certain minimum number of orders to uh, to be able to publish your book. You know, you can just say, okay, I'll sell it to you for four bucks, and then Kablam's going to charge me, you know, two fifty to print it oh. or whatever. So. So I mean that that helps the situation, but oh, it's not. It's obviously not a solution. Oh no no no! You're completely right about that. And, and John, before I let you have next question, I just want to throw throw on this uh, thing. So as far as print on demand books go, on an episode of Comic Geek Speak, um, they uh, they talked with uh, Brian Hibbs, and Brian Hibbs, you know, he's been around for like he's got his own store out right. on the West Coast, and yep. you know he he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. He's been around. He's been successful. But when he kind of made a generalization that print-on-demand comics look like shit, I want to hear him by say, that's bullshit. Print-on-demand books have come a long way as compared to about five or six years ago. They look a hell of a lot better. There are a lot more choices, a lot, a yeah. lot more print-on-demand vendors now. Um, yeah. You know, we have the option of standard paper, you know, the st standard, standard, paper, uh, standard paper stock or glossy paper, Tra and especially on the trade side. Trades look fantastic, so I kind of thought that blanket statement was bullshit. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, I I think that's baloney too. If he's talking about the quality of the books, like how they're printed, yeah, that, that I think that's baloney. Um, right. Obviously, they're not going to look like a book that was printed from at Le Bon Fon, you know, um, or someplace like that. And I mean, they're not designed to. But they also don't look like the mini comics that you know some of the most important comic creators in history were putting out 30 years ago either. Yes. You know, where it's just uh, where it's a Xerox stapled in the middle. So I, I, I think that's I think that's baloney. Yeah. But no, I, I, it, I just wanted to get that out there. I'm like, you know, I'm not trying to start nothing. I just I, I just really that had kind of been stewing up in my system for a while. And I really needed to get it out there. And I just wanted to make sure because I'm talking, you know, I'm talk, we're talking with, you know, with a gentleman here that also makes comics. So, you know, yeah. so you understand. 
Yeah, no, I I definitely understand, and and I think you're not to belabor the point, but you're completely justified in in feeling that way. You know, I mean, not only do I think it's just it's an incorrect generalization, because it's I mean, you you look at look at the stuff that you have put out, and look at the trades, or look at look at um, someone like Dave Wagner, look at his his promo comic that he had for Guns of Shadow Valley. You know, that's a print on demand book. That book is beautiful. It is, it, and it looks. You know, I've I've never had a problem with Kablam. I've always enjoyed my dealings with Kablam, but uh, it looks so much better than you know a Kablam book. I mean, it's print on demand and it's glossy. It's nice. It's got a nice texture and feel to it. it I mean, it's you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between that book and a book that was printed at a you know a giant printing house. You know, a giant publisher. So, in, in terms of quality. So I, I don't I don't understand or or buy the argument other than other than to say it's just um, not well researched a uh, well researched opinion. You know I always sit back and I be thinking like to myself like you know I know I'm here but but, but where am I you know what I mean I, I know I'm here somewhere but I, I can't find me. The thing is, is that that's too bad I haven't had a chance to listen to the episode yet because I'm so far behind on CGS but but that's what Hibbs is one I always try to listen to because he's a really smart guy. You know, and he knows the business. He doesn't. Uh, he's not known for pulling punches, at least in, in, in yeah. my opinion. So, that, that, that's too bad to hear that that those are his thoughts. But you know, to each their own, I guess. And that's part of the. But again, that's part of the pervasiveness of uh, trying to get people. You know, people and their thoughts on indie books. Yeah. One problem I think he has is that uh, my LCS, the one I go to all the time, the owner of that has been in business for twenty three years, where Hibbs has been in business for twenty. The guys who really survived and came up through the crash of the 90s, I think, really are a lot more conservative in their ownership than some of the newer people are that I've noticed. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that may be. Because, I mean, they're the, I mean, they're the ones that survived the crash of the, of the 90s and the speculator boom and bust and then the more recent ones. So, I mean, they're the guys who've been around for 20 years and they're like, hey, DC Marvel sells. Sell DC Marvel. I've got my crew. And so, I mean, yes, they will reach out to indies. I mean, we've, I've got a very indie-friendly shop I go to. I mean, he was complaining. I went in there to order Aphrodisiac on uh, Monday and he bitched because Ad House did not take out a big enough... He's like, I don't remember this when that house came out. If it had, I would have ordered it because that house's thing was so small, and he was complaining about that. Yeah, but a full page ad and, and the previous catalog is over two grand. Yeah. So you got to move a lot of books to cover that cost, plus your printing cost, plus your talent. You know, getting make, making sure the talent gets yeah. their their payday too. Well, he was just complaining about it being just the standard little square. He's like, if they'd done a couple extra, a little bigger, I probably would have ordered it. He's actually going to keep my copy for about a week or so after I get it in just to show it to some people to see if they want to order it as well. Hey, well that's good, man. That's that's awesome for him. And that's what I do with a lot of my that's what I do with a lot of my indies. I actually give it to them and then they show it to people and if they want they'll turn around and order it from Diamond or somebody else I mean who he got I think 20 or 25 total orders for for uh, Atomica because I gave him my copies of that to show to people and he did. Nice. Hey, that's good, man. That's that's a solid. That's a solid retailer. Then, I mean, obviously, he's got to buy his books that are gonna that are gonna fly off the shelf anyway. But the fact that he's even like making the effort is awesome. So good for him, man. That's awesome. Digital comics. I mean, I know Sean, you've got the website and you pimp the living shit out of it on Facebook and Twitter and Julian and everybody else. No, the question is also. I mean, what else are you doing to extend it? 
to areas like an iPhone app, an Android app, something like that. Uh, uh, I mean, are y'all going to be doing that as well? Because I mean, that's how. I mean, the the, the problem with that is number one is I don't know how the hell to do it. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's a good idea, but um, and if it's something that's cost effective and it's going to put my stuff in more people's hands, then I'm going to do it. It seems, at least in the short term, the better route instead of trying to get uh, your own app and then trying to market a whole new product to a, a whole new larger audience, seems it seems to me, maybe if, Sean, you disagree, I mean, you might you might have a better idea than me, but um, it seems to me that the better route is to go with an established, you know, digital quote-unquote distributor and, and get your stuff out that way. I mean, and get your stuff through... You know, an an existing app to just build the audience to get people to even notice it, and then if you know that warrants your own application, then go for it. But I mean, I don't, I don't know that it would. I would personally benefit in the short or long term from uh, spending all that time and money and effort in putting the app together and then marketing it. It's twofold for me. It's twofold, and here's why. Now, John, you and I and Julian, we talked about the iPad a, a little while ago. Say, for instance, um, with mydigitalcomics.com. You, you know, you guys are doing the um, DRM PDF, uh, DRM free, DRM free PDFs, right? Right. Yep. So now, and CBZ. And oh, and CBZ. Okay, cool. So now, seeing how if you know when the that iPad, big, yeah, the iPad's got a big screen, it's gonna flow real well. I can get what books I want to get from mydigitalcomics.com, and boom, I'm good. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm good, and, and you know, and, and that works well, and, th- and that's app free. You yep. know what I'm saying? That is completely app free, and I'm and I'm good with that. On the iPhone side, I feel that if you can if you can do it, do it. But if you can't right now, I understand that. And I guess from my perspective, I guess the reason why I'm not, I'm not it's not that I'm gung ho about iPhone comics. I think they're great. I think it's because I've had so much pro, so much difficulty getting my books on any of these iPhone app vent with any of these iPhone app vendors that. It's kind of like dealing with Diamond. It's really frustrating because I'm not a name. You know, I'm, I'm not a name. I'm just this little publisher that's trying to make their mark in comic books. And I feel if people could just get a shot to read my stuff, they would enjoy it and they would continue to purchase things. You know, the more stuff they purchase, the more books you know, we can make here. But I'm, you know, I haven't been fortunate to, like, break in. So I guess that's why, I mean, as much as I like the, the iPhone comics... You know, I'm not, you know, I haven't really been excited about it because I'm trying to break into it and I can't get in. Yeah. One thing I, that I have to say about iPhone, iPad apps is that the main reason to get an app is for you to be able to get the comics. Because, I mean, if you have to download it to your to your computer and then you have to sync it to the iPhone or pad, I mean, that's an extra step a lot of people aren't necessarily going to take. But if you cut it down to where, because you have to download a CBZ reader for the iPhone, iPad, and then you have to then sync it and they have to do it and it's pain. And I have one for my for my iPhone, iPod Touch and it's a pain in the ass sometimes. I mean, if you can get a good app where you are linked directly to the storefront where you can just download it and go, it's great. Oh, yeah. And it's just it's just one of those things that eventually it has to like... There has to be just an easier, an easier way, or just maybe a less convoluted way, because you've got so many different apps and so many different stores with so many different comics, and you know not everybody has the same thing. It's not like a Walmart, Target, Kmart thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's 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 not there, but it's going to work itself out eventually if people continue to progress with it. That's why, like I said, that's why I'm just right now I'm cool with the fact that at least I have something available online 
like a in book form, it's PDF, and I'm cool with that because at least people, if they got a computer, they can read the PDF. So it's for me, it's a start because yeah. I'd rather have a start than nothing, you yeah. know, because I've dealt with a lot of nothing, <laughs> and it's nice just to have that one door open. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I mean, not not to ask you your exact opinion on what I said, but I mean, don't you? I mean, do you agree too that I mean from a perspective of someone like you, you and I, I mean, the the amount of effort and time that it takes for us just to get people to notice our regular comics or just notice our names that we are alive is takes a shitload of time and a lot of money. I mean, maybe not actually spending dollars, but I mean, every minute that we spend doing this costs us in some way. Yeah. There's an opportunity cost involved. So, I mean, that's a lot of time and money and effort and just getting people to know our name. And then you tack on more marketing that you have to do and more pimping that you have to do to get people to notice not just your name, not just your comic, but your iPhone app. It seems like uh, you, you would have a really hard time seeing some positive returns on that in a short or medium term. I mean, it seems like that would have to be a really long-term thing where you have a lot of expendable time and, and uh, resources. So, I mean, in the short term, it, it seems like you're better off just beating your head against the wall trying to get in with uh, get in with uh, with a comicsology or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that might be a, a losing game too. And friend for us, it and for us it has been for, you know, for the moment, but I'm hoping that one day they'll open that door. I mean, I'll keep knocking. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll I'll keep knocking. I'll annoy the living shit out of them. I don't care. Um, I'll keep knocking until they at least look at the material. And then say, okay, this is what we can do. But until then, what can I do? And like I, you, like you, oh, go ahead, John. You about to say something? I was going to say to flip that around. I mean, has Cameron ever considered doing an iPhone app or something like that? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that'd be perfect for MD. Yeah, that's coming. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, hot damn. Um, yeah, I mean, for IST or for uh, CB or for uh, DCBS. DCBS as well. That's coming too. Uh, y'all, y'all just Ooh. all over it. Ooh. Hey, hey, listen, man. Uh, we get shit done. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know you do. Hey, hey, look, tr- trust, please believe. Please, please believe. As many times as PKD Media has worked alongside with DCBS, I know y'all put in work. It's the war shit. Yeah. Get on board for some raw shit. Yeah. No, you can't ignore it. You can't do it. Do we want to use that as a segue to the next step in our questioning? Or go ahead, by all means, sir. Summit City Comic Con in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> because. You sound excited and giddy. I am giddy. I'm. This is. Uh, I, I've been killing myself the past prob- the past you know few months working on between between my webcomic stuff between store stuff my regular job my two kids my dog my wife and I throw the comic con on top of that I've been killing myself but it's all been worth it because it's been so much fun to put together um, yeah we've got as of right now we've got uh, 50 49 or 50 artists confirmed for the artist alley area Um it's uh, it's a one day show here in Fort Wayne at the Grand Wayne Center. Um, if people want to take a look at the Grand Wayne Center, that's linked from the Summit City site, which is summitcitycomiccon.com. C o m i c c o n. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's going very well. 
it, it's uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I I know Sean's going to be there. Hopefully, John, you're able to make it. I know it might be tough it's, for you, but actually, it's 600 miles. I was just actually been looking on flights. The cheapest flight. I mean, if I were to fly in, it's like 450 bucks. If I flew to Dayton, it'd be 210. But then I'd have to drive for another two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. Fort, Fort Wayne International is notorious for depend on certain airlines to to be a little uh, pricey on the in flights, but. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, really, really excited about the show. Um, it's. Uh, do you guys want me to tell you what this spawned out of? Oh yeah, no, by all means, please, please. Okay. Write it down. The, okay, this whole thing spawned out of 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 uh, three or four different factors. The first was a couple years ago. I went to a convention, and I won't I won't say the name of the convention because I that seems uncool because um, I don't want to trash them publicly because I'm sure they're perfectly nice people. But I went to a convention that was a, a, a new convention, and it seemed really promising, and there's a lot of really great talent there, like really talented people there. But they also mixed it with the cast from the 60s Batman TV show and uh, a handful of people from like the Superman movie, and, like Margot Kidder was there. I mean, so it's, it seems like you'd get a big crowd, but the problem was that crowd was not the type of people who wanted to come and buy comics and even look at collectibles uh, or, or back issues or anything, much less buy indie comics from someone like me or original art or a sketch from one of the dozens of really, really talented artists there. So um, that is where I got the my favorite quote of all time is, this is not Batman, who are these people? Which I... A nasty little old lady <laughs> said to me about my book. Um, oh, jeez, OP. Yeah, uh, that's that's a whole other story on uh, in and out to itself, and totally hilarious. And this actually fuels me, like, like makes me re- wanna, like do more comics. So, so you you should have reenacted the Batman Robin. My you're dead and smack her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Certainly not against senior citizens. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so I, ha- I had this very poor experience at what should have been a very good con. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, it's, it wasn't the sales that bothered me. I mean, that's, that's okay. You're going to have up and down shows. That's, that's, it, that's unimportant. Uh, it was just the atmosphere was not one where I felt like I was having a really good time and, and meeting people and, and sharing a love of the medium, right? Mm-hmm. So it started with that. And me thinking in the back of my head, I was like, you know, I could do something a little better than this on my own. Then uh, Chris Neesman and Brian Salazar put together the Windy City Comic Con. And I went to that and just was flabbergasted. And uh, because they put on such a good show there and, you know, there's tons of great talent and it's not just the talent and it's not just you know the handful of retailers and vendors that are there, but it's just the atmosphere. It's very much an atmosphere like Super Show, where it's just um, everybody's you know happy to be there and happy to see each other and and hang out and talk about comics and just be a part of the community. You know. Then of course after that was Super Show. Super Show is another influence because again that same feeling. So I ha- I had those things sort of just brewing in the back of my head for for a long time. Just thinking about some way to to make it work, and then last year DCBS had uh, we had our tenth anniversary. So I went to Cam and I said, "Hey, look, the tenth anniversary is coming up. I would like to do an in-store event. 
you know, for the 10th anniversary. We'll have a big sale. I'll see if I can, you know, get a couple of artists to come by and hang out. And so I did. And I set everything up in about, I don't know, not, not even six weeks time. It was just a huge, huge success for us. I mean, we, we had, we had uh, I would say, pretty close to 150 to 200 people through the door. And I want to um, let you know that I'm still upset that I was not able to go to that. <laughs> hey, you missed out on some on some really good deals because we had 90% off damages. No, no, no. Oh, I know. I heard the, oh, the 11 yeah. o'clock comics people. I heard Neesman say all, talk about all of his great deals, and I was just sitting there listening to it, just getting bitter. Oh, man. Because, see, I, yeah. was, I was out of town on vacation, and it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, bitter brother, but please, I digress. Continue, sir. No, no, no. Anyway, so, so that was such a success for us, and it was only, you know, after six weeks of planning and um, very minimal marketing, like done on no budget at all, you know, taking all those factors and, you know, after that, that was basically the thing that made me say, we can put on a convention in this town, and we can make it we can make it successful. So, um, so I went to Cameron and his wife, and I said, I think we should do this. So the three of us partnered up, and we all own the convention together, and um, here we are. And like I said, you know, it's the guest list is growing, and I, I'm having to think about expanding the Artist Alley area. So we're getting more vendors on board. We've got Boom Studios is going to be there. We're going to be getting some promotional stuff from Dark Horse. Um, it's it's all going really well, and I think it's just going to be a really fun show. And even if we, meaning Cameron, Christine, and myself, make no money on it, I, I think that it, just what we're able to do for all of us getting together and just having a good time and celebrating comics will supersede any of that. Now, obviously, we want to make money. I mean, you know, that's why you take on any business venture is to, is to be successful. But, but I think I really want to try to be able to do something more than just make a couple extra bucks for ourselves. Yeah. And I think we'll be able to do that because because of the people that are coming there, because of people like Sean and people like Steve Bryant and people like you know Tim Seeley and Dave Wachter and Mike Norton and you know all these guys who are just fantastic people and awesome to hang out with anyway. I mean, they're the type of people that create the buzz at a convention and in an artist alley area that just make it fun to be there. You know, you can go by stop by their table and talk to them for fifteen twenty minutes. If you get a sketch, that's awesome because you're supporting them, or you know, you buy a book, but. Uh, you get something more besides just the the you know the 15 minutes of pleasure looking at the drawing or the 20 minutes of reading the book you know uh, so that's my rambling very long-winded promo for for Summit City I think it's just gonna be a lot of fun and I hope that we get a lot of people through the door because um, I want them to experience the same thing that makes me happy about comics well I'm hyped for the simple fact I get to meet Robert Atkins for the first time. Oh, Robert's a sweet guy, man. Yeah, he's really he's really cool, and I'm looking forward to meeting him. I'm, it, you know, th- that gets me real hype because it's this balance of you know you got the the mainstream talent with new school talent with talent people need to know about. Yep, it's it's that balance, and and I stress this word a lot, and I wish the comics game would get this word and use it. Balances. If you balance it out, man. We can take this stuff real far. Yep. And that's what you're trying to do with this show. So, you know, I'm willing to drive from Lexington, Kentucky to Fort Wayne, Indiana to get my comics on and to uh, get people hype on Mercury and the Murder and Agents of Colt and all that stuff, you know. I'm really so excited for this. I really just think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's it's like you sort of reiterated, too. It's just the fact that it's seeing old friends and, and meeting a lot of great talent from, you know, virtually every genre of comics that's that's out there, you know from the very indie, from the very 
early starters, you know, people just now starting to do their thing, to people who are established and exclusive to major publishers. I mean, it's it's all there, and everybody's fun to talk to, and everybody's your friend, you know. We have not talked about Mystery Solved. Oh, man. I know. We've been talking about so much stuff. Yeah, I got to... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No. So this is this is completely off topic. I've just been having a shitload of fun talking to you guys about this stuff because I don't get to do this every day. So this is awesome. Anyway, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. I mean, you Because know, like I said, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. And you're always welcome back anytime. Please believe. But you've got a webcomic called Mystery Solved, and you've got like a lot of cats collaborating with you on that. Tell the people what that's all about. Mystery Solved is uh, my forthcoming webcomic that is about uh, a skeptical investigator named uh, Colonel Randall Thaddeus Winchester IV. Um, if you're familiar with uh, Commander McBrag from the um, Rocky and Bullwinkle and Dudley Do-Right cartoons. Oh, that's my homeboy. Yeah, I love Commander McBrag. Um, very, uh, in a very similar vein, you know, just... Uh, you know, international raconteur and uh, adventurer type, um, uh, and each each episode, he goes on uh, a different adventure where he uh, encounters either some sort of uh, urban legend or some sort of uh, pseudoscience or um, something else that's applicable to you know critical thinking and uh, urban legend, urban legends, that sort of thing. So, so you know. He squares off and you know he investigates a Bigfoot in one episode, and you know there's a there's a Ghost Hunters episode, uh, Ghost Hunters type mock-up in, an, in another episode, and that sort of thing. And, and it's just we have a rotating team of artists, and um, each story runs about well, well four to seven pages or so, and um, yeah, that that's basically it. Right now, I've got art in from Dave Wachter, Dave Dewanch, and Jim Miller, and Jim um, who. Uh, did the uh, initial character designs based off of my descriptions. Um, so I've got those three in. Uh, Andy Jewett uh, should be getting me his pages, I believe, uh, like March, late March, early April. So I'll, I'll have him. And then I have uh, Ben Teed, who is my intern, believe it or not. Uh, my comic intern, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, he he's doing some work for me, and he also contributes the scuba frog backup to uh, to the contingent. But he's come quite a long way uh, since he first started um, working on sequential stuff. So I've got those guys lined up. Um, I've got some other people that are uh, in the pipeline, but you know their schedules just haven't allowed for them to really um, take the time to get the stories done, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, so that's that's going that's going pretty well. It's taken a little bit longer than I had hoped, but again, you know, you're dealing with a lot of factors here oh, yeah. when working with so many different artists now, and you know also, you know how that is yeah i know i know exactly how that is now with mystery solved is was this something that will be web exclusive or will this be a print book it's a web series it's a web comic now i'll have um print editions like at conventions you know just to sort of build interest and get people to come to the website mm -hmm. and obviously just have product to put in their hands but um but yeah it, it's it's a web comic series that's uh and it's basically going to be web exclusive, except for convention convention print editions. Now, if it gets to be you know 
something where I can build up, you know, uh, five, ten, fifteen stories or whatever, and I can justify putting that into a trade, yes. then yeah, I'll put it into a trade. But that's a long-term goal. Okay. So. Well, cool. Well, check it. Check it. Okay. My last, my last question about that. Now, as far as you know, you said you just got artwork in from, um, you know, from various artists like DeWanch and Wachter and all these other talented cats. Um, is any of this stuff available online to look at right now, or is this still in the behind-the-scenes process? It's still behind the scenes. Okay. Um, the stuff from Dave and Dave and Jim will be in the in this year's uh, convention preview edition. Sweet. Um, so I'm hoping, so long as everything goes exactly according to plan, which I think it should, that should be available starting at Super Show this year. So, so those guys will be in this year's convention preview, and then uh, once I build up enough where I'm comfortable to start releasing pages to the web, I will. I just don't want to be in a situation where, um, uh, you know, I'm like two weeks behind all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Yes. Because once once you fall behind, I mean, you might as well t- tell people to not come back to your web page. Okay. You know, and for bigger names, you know, it's not a it's not as much an issue. But for for a, a fledgling web comic. And fledgling creator like myself, then uh, you, you, it's it's too dangerous to to not have enough in the can to keep going for at least a year. I mean, you, you have to be just a pro about it all the time, and you can't. As soon as you start slacking, you start acting like it's just something you're just doing just to screw around for a few yucks now and then. I mean, people people know that and they realize that, and they're just like, ah, forget it. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's easy to forget. Oh yeah, and they won't mess with you anymore, and yeah, it, it gets frustrating. Exactly, and you know, and this really comes back to, um, to what John was asking about, you know, the uh, the uh, iPhone apps and iPad touches and things. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, we need to get our stuff out there digitally, uh, just more platforms for people to try it on. But really, my personal opinion is that for people who are just starting out, that the web comic route is the way to go. Or, and not even people who are just starting out, but people who just have an IP that they need to get out there and they want people to see, you know, and they don't want to mess around with all the, with the extra stuff. I mean, the, my opinion is the webcomic route is the way to go. And you make the content free and you build an audience and you build it over a long period of time and you keep those people coming back and it, it, in the long run, it pays off. And the cost is minimal outside of what you do for marketing and what you do to produce the comic. But I mean, um, I, I think that's I think that's the best way to go, just to get people to know your name and to people to come to you at shows. You know, I mean, not th- not that he's the rule, but I mean, you take a look at someone like Scott Kurtz. You know, I mean, PVP. I mean, I read PVP every day. It's not just out of habit. I mean, I read it because it's consistently good and the art's good and the fact that the guys just a pro about it and he comes out and he puts it out every week you know and he's built an audience and the dude makes a handsome living you know because by offering his comics for free and then selling print editions and selling you know related merchandise you know so i mean so i think what you're doing is is awesome man i mean i think it's i think it's the right way to go and i think it's the way to get people to know your name you know i mean people don't Especially for people like us, they don't want to take the chance, especially when it concerns their wallets. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't want to. I mean, if you if you're selling it at at a at a discounted price, you know, like th- through someone like you know DCBS or something like that, you know, two bucks is not a big financial commitment, and you can you can sway people. But um, it's harder to sway people when you're saying, hey, it's four bucks, it's five bucks for my you know 32 page comic. Yeah. But if you can give it to them a page at a time for free, then when they see you at the show, I mean, 
and they and after they see it and they read it and they they like it and they see you at a show, then that four or five bucks is ah, it's no big deal. I I know what I'm getting. I like this stuff. You know, it's just that we just got to keep hustling to make sure that people understand that we're not going anywhere. And we just got to make them believe. And if we can do that and they can pass that on to another person, and if they can pass that on to another person and another person, then we can, you know, then we can finally, you know, get up there and get in. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, we have to get quote unquote notice, but I just want them to recognize that the material is there. Because like I said, this ain't, this, this ain't about me. I, you know, as much as I want to make sure that people know about Chad Chaconi, I want to make sure people know about Andrew Charpar. I want to make sure people know about, you know, Daniel Logan and everybody else that's been involved because these cats are talented. How can I say this? They're hungry, okay? They're hungry. They want it. And I'm tired of seeing a lot of people that are in that are in the quote-unquote industry that are, you know, that are in the quote-unquote ivory tower and, and they're not hungry. And it, it irritates me because we're fighting for this. Some of them don't and they complain when they got clout. And they got position, they got rank, and they got power. I'm not saying it's everybody because that's a generalization because it's not, that's not everybody. But there are a lot of cats that do, and it irritates me to no end. I'm just going to keep hustling. Yeah. Well, that's what you got to do, man. You put out quality work and you persevere. So I digress. Once again, I digress because that's what I do a lot. Um, <laughs> before, we close, before we close out the show, Zach, where can people catch you on the web? Uh, first and foremost, you can catch me at mysterysolvedcomic.com. While I build my empire of wonderful art, you can see my rather crude and skeptically driven uh, gag-a-day strips every Wednesday at mysterysolvedcomic.com. Uh, and you can also make sure that you check out summitcitycomiccon.com. Um, for all the news about the show, the information, driving directions, tickets, whatever you need to know, it's there on, on that website. And that website is also updating perpetually as we get new information in and new artwork. So uh, check me out on those two places. And then I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say check out the First Light stuff on DCBS. Everybody knows where DCBS is. but DCBService.com. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everybody knows that. You all listen to podcasts. You all know who DCBS is. Uh, <laughs> I just work there because I love it. So. Um, and we love Cam. Yes, I, I do love my boss. He's, he's a great guy. Anyway, uh, don't just check out the DCBS site. Check out the First Light section to, to find books by Sean, to find books by me, to find books by Picture Box Publishers, to find books by self-published books by Steve Ditko, to find stuff from Comics Press, to... Find something new. Check out that first light section every month. Check out the other publisher section every month and, and find something new. So that's uh, so. I really hope people take advantage of that program. A lot of people do, but um, we always want to build that. So uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. That's where you should find me. Oh, Twitter. I'm, man, I'm I'm a pimp machine. I am pimping the hell out of myself. The Twitter. Uh, I'm at Zach Cruzy. Z a c k k r u s e. There you go. Fantastic, and I will be updating my first light page really soon because it needs to be it needs to be updated. I just need to remember what my username and password is. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Zach, um, it's been fantastic having you on the show. John, did you have anything that you wanted to close out with before we close the show down? Uh, good night or afternoon or morning or wherever you happen to be while you're listening, and good luck. <laughs> All right then, cool. Thank you.
I'm joined right now by uh, artist Andrew Charapar. He is the um, artist and co-creator of the Agents of Cult comic uh, that PKD Media displays proudly every Friday at pkdmedia.com. He is also the uh, artist that provides all the interiors for the brand spanking new Agents of Cult Volume 1 Recipe for Destruction trade paperback as well. Um, he is a very talented artist, a really cool gentleman, and um, I am very proud to work with this man. Andrew, how you doing, sir? Oh, very, very good. Cool. Thank you for coming on the show, man. No problem. I know I, we tried to arrange this a couple of times, and I had some things getting away, and, you know, everybody's been busy. We've been ramping up, getting ready for Super Show and whatnot, but I'm glad I got you on before Super Show came around. Oh, I just figured you were big timing me, you know, and pushing me aside for somebody else. Somebody, some big interview with somebody else, oh, you know. I, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, we are not big time. Not yet. Not, not yet, but we just keep hustling. That's what we do. We're getting there. We're getting there, right? Yes, we are. We are getting there. People will know who we are, damn it. <laughs> they, That's they, right. They will know. Um, how did you um, get into the world of art and, uh, and drawing and um, everything in between? Well, that's actually a... A long story, but I'll make it short and sweet. Okay. Um, I had the extreme privilege of attending a art school in Jacksonville, Florida, a uh, art high school, the Douglas Anderson School of the Arts, which uh, they have dance and theater and and visual arts and and instruments and all that good stuff. But I actually got accepted there in my eleventh grade, in my uh, junior year. Met up with a couple of guys who were all into comics just like me, and we were all into art. And from that day forward, it's been, been a lifelong goal for all of us. And even though between the four of us, we've all gone in completely different directions, we've all kept comics and drawing comics close, pretty close to us. So, But that's, that's pretty much how it started, okay. is uh, finding a group of guys who loved comics and loved drawing them. And that's just how it, that's, that's really the, the start of it all was that, going to that school. Okay. Which, by the way, they do not encourage you to draw comics because they were into fine art. Uh, comics was almost like an underground taboo, so we kind of had to do it and, you know, keep it secret and, you know, pass papers underneath the desk type of things. But, <laughs> I, but. I will never understand why people can't accept comics as, well, not, I shouldn't say I, that's a blanket statement. That's a generalization. I don't understand why so many people cannot accept comics as a form of art. Well, I, I, I see it, and then I don't see it at the same time because I, I know people who have accepted it and, and love it and live it and understand it, and then there's other people that are completely oblivious to it. And it's just it's, it's, it's like my parents. When, the, when I graduate from high school, they're like, what do you want to do? And I had that secret desire to draw comics, and instead I told them I want to be a math teacher. So I went to school to be a math teacher, and mm -hmm. then things happened, and they said, what do you really want to do with your life? And it's like, well, I want to draw comics. Well, why didn't you say that? It's like, oh, it's that stigma of, you know, drawing comics. and It's, it's the scarlet letter. Uh, <laughs> it's the scarlet letter of jobs. Very much. In, in a way, it is. In a way, it most definitely is. Well, well but, it could be worse. You could, be, you could want to be a comics writer, sir. All right, uh, you know I actually write my some of my own stuff too, so I know exactly what you're talking about. But okay, see, see, that's the perfect lead-in. See, see how <laughs> see how I work that in there for you. See how I work that in. Um, I'm 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 doubly damned, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. 
not only do you um you 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 know you draw your own comics and you say you write your com you write your own comics that comic would be uh, tales from the cornerstone correct tales from the cornerstone that's right Break currently down. there's two trade ba trade paperback collections out but they are not really out there they're done but they're not out there mm -hmm. it's 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 a it's a hard thing to explain but yeah now, as far as as far as tales from the cornerstone, what is uh, the premise of the story? Uh, well, the story is it revolves around. Well, it, it, let me go back a little ways. When I originally came up with the idea for the broad story, which was a city in which vampires, werewolves, witches, Frankenstein monsters—they're everywhere. And everybody, and they intermingle with the regular normal humans, and everybody lives together peacefully. And but it's just, I, I explained it to somebody one time. I said, two guys are walking down the street, and one says, "Look over there, there's a there's a three-eyed purple monster riding on a unicycle." And the other guy says, "A unicycle? Where?" <laughs> it, it doesn't. Werewolves and vampires and all doesn't shock anybody because it's normal life. Right. And my story focused in on a police force uh, or a special unit that dealt with all the special crimes that involved those. And it, the story actually grew from there because I had so many small stories to tell within the city. Originally, the title of the book was The Midnight Shift, which was the name of the police force, the, the special force. Um, but I, I, because I wanted to focus on more than just them, I changed the title to Tales from the Cornerstone, and Cornerstone City is the name of the, the city, because I wanted to be able to tell more than just their stories. I wanted to tell a lot more. Right now, I'm still focusing on that particular group of people, mm -hmm. but I have other stories that I want to expand and tell. So it's almost like an anthology book, but it's, you know, it's kind of like, like, like Sin City in the fact that Sin City focuses in on a certain group or characters, but it can, there's more stories within the city, more stories within the, within the, to be told, and that's what Tales from the Cornerstone will eventually be. I first knew of you at the Pittsburgh Comic-Con in 2007. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh Comic-Con 2008 because my friend Jack, who helped me run my table, mm -hmm. um, came over to you because he was a big Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Oh, yes, I remember that guy. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm he, with you. He yeah. was he's a big Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Because I was where because we were in Pittsburgh and I was wearing my Jacksonville Jaguar shirt. Boy, and you were a brave soul for doing that, sir. You, well, you I've done the same thing in Charlotte too, and got funny looks. But you know what? <laughs> well, you know, well, Pan Panthers fans don't really know what football's about anyway. Yeah, anyway, well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just playing my North Carolina peeps. I'm just playing. You know, he had mentioned you, and I think he had picked up um a copy of the uh, by Rich Baratovich the Sentinels. Sentinels, yes. And, you know, I, I worked I, on the anthology book. Yes, and I think he picked up that book that had your artwork in it. Yep. And, and so that's how that's how I got to know of you first. And then as time went along, we got together. We had like tables right next to each other at the CGS Super Show in two thousand and eight. Yep. And you know, and you were doing your things with, with your buddies and stuff, and I was you know just trying to you know hustle books and and do whatnot. And I think I had asked you. For a Mercury and the Merd sketch, which I actually put in the um, trade paperback 
um, and the new trade paperback. I put it in there. It looks all nice and pretty. And See, that was that was actually part of my devious plan. Yes, it was. <laughs> when, you con- when you contacted me and asked me about doing a commission, because I had a commission list going at the time, and once I realized, you know, this is a guy that publishes his own book, and this is his own creator-owned character, not only did I do the image for you, but I gave it to you for free and said, here, this is for you. Do whatever you want with it. And I've actually done that two or three times. That's kind of my sly little way of, you know, planting the seed of potential potential, you know? Yes. Something to come of it. And in your case, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And from, from there, uh, from, from there our, our comic relationship was born. And we decided to, at the time, there was a PKD Media Presents where I was going to take Mercury and the Murder and turn it into an anthology book. Yep. With a ton of stories, including a spinoff from from the big Mercury and the Murder story, Diaz for Death Sucker, called Agents of Cult, mm-hmm. because that's where they first premiered. And I said, you know what? I said, you know, this has a lot of Agents of Cult will have a lot of animated type action. It'll be fun, lots of explosions. You know, it just it's it's kind of like my tribute to GI Joe and Men in Black and everything else. I just find fun. I'm like, you know, I think I really think Drew would be great for it. And so we started collaborating on things and. From there, there was also another story that was supposed to be in the anthology called Black's Danger in Space. Yep, and, I remember that. And originally, um, you know, had some people worked out to do it, and, but some things happened. So, you know, we had, we had to fight, find another artist for it. And I was like, should I really bother Drew, Drew to see if he can do this? I don't know, because he's already hooking me up with Agents of Cold. Can, you know? So I said, well, at least I can, I, I'll just ask. Worst that can happen is that he'll say no. And I asked, he's like, yeah, sure, I got it, no problem. That's right. And well, it was only at, at the time it was only six pages, so it's like okay, I can, it, I can knock out six pages pretty quickly. Very yeah. true. And and I, I think I, my my little two bits to this story is that when I did the Agents of Colts, the first story, I was experimenting with the uh, zipatones in in Photoshop and something I've never done before, and it gave me an opportunity to try something new. But when I did Black's Danger in Space, I went straight black and white, mm-hmm. just to make it a little bit quicker and. Black's Danger in Space, straight black and white being a space epic story, works so much better. And I kind of, after those six pages, fell in love with it and offered to do it full time if you needed me to. Yes, and, and, and what's crazy about that is, is that after you said that, and we got uh, PKD Media Presents Volume 1 to press, and we, you know, we, I started promoting the book across podcast, comic podcasts and whatnot, because the book didn't sell well, you know, I was hurt. Because I really thought that we had something really good out there, but you know, people just weren't—they weren't feeling that type of anthology idea. So I said, you know what? Okay, cool. We're I think to- I think the biggest thing that probably hurt you, and you probably would agree with this, it, it wasn't the story, it wasn't the content, it was the price. Yeah. And you ended up having to charge because of how big it was and how much was in it. Mm-hmm. That that kind of you know scared people off, and it's okay. a shame, but that that's part of the business, you know. Oh, well, very true, very true. But it also at the same time, it, it turned on a light bulb in my head where it, it makes more sense for us to, like once again, and I've said this a lot on the show, streamline things. So yeah. if there's just a Mercury and the Merge standalone trade paperback that's nothing but, you know, buddy cop comedy, that's it. That's all you get. But you get so much of it, you're willing to pay that price. And the same with taking Agents of Cult and Black's Danger in Space. And when this is when you said that it's like you would be happy to take on... Um, Black's Danger in Space full time, 
it only made sense to incorporate the universes of Agents of Cult and Black's Danger in Space and put them together to make them one big universe. Because if you think about right. all the things, both these, you know, both the, you know, the space program that's that's in Black's Danger in Space and and the Agents of Cult, all the stuff they use, and all all you know, and I was, sorry, now I'm all tongue tied. All the with all the things they use, somehow their paths intertwine. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it just made more sense to do it that way. So I could take their stories, make it one universe, and give it its own book. So and it just fits better. So so now you know people can't say, well, I'm only getting a bit of a story for X amount of dollars. No, now you're getting a whole kit and caboodle for a nice price. Exactly. So I think it works out well too. Well, we'll 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 find out. <laughs> we'll find out a super <laughs> show. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and we'll also find out when we start putting this stuff up. Um, on DCBS and Heroes Corner in, in the next coming uh, months. So, yes, yes, sure. One of the things with uh, the Super Show and as well as with the uh, DCBS and Heroes Corner is we're going to entice people a little bit with it. Yes, yes, we are. Going to add a little extra for them. Oh, uh, I don't know if you've you've announced anything yet, but oh no, and actually, you know, this would be a good time to tell the peeps. So this, very good. This is what we're going to do at 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 the CGS Super Show. We have an exclusive print that that Andrew did um, that has the characters from Black's Danger in Space and the characters from Agents of Cult. And it's beautiful. I mean, Drew whipped this up, man. It, it blew me away. I did not see this coming. He just said, you know, look, I came up with this and, and sent it to me. And, like, I just, like, fell out my chair. Well, and, the funny thing about the print is that I came up with the idea months ago. And I laid it out real quick, like, how I wanted everybody to be positioned. And then I sat on it. And I sat on it working on other things. Believe it or not, I, I drew up individ the individual characters, scanned them in, or... Uh, Put them into the collage like I wanted on the uh, in Photoshop. Printed it out and finished the print, pen to ink, all the way to the end in one Saturday afternoon, hmm. start to finish, one day. Wow. Yep. I, I I got started on it and goes, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I'm loving it. And I just kept going till it was completely done, and it came out pretty good. I think. Oh, I think so too. I think it's beautiful. And see, and what Drew did is he made a print. He made a print of this um, of this piece that will be available for two dollars. Am I correct on that, or am I incorrect on that? That sounds about right. Two dollars okay. sounds good. Okay, and it's a nice well, size. It, they're going to be. There's only going to be twenty five of them. That is right. Yes, and they're going to be signed and numbered by you and I. Mm -hmm. And they are they are available. Will be available only at the Super Show. Yes, it is a Super Show exclusive. So definitely be on the lookout for that. We'll also make mention. We've also I think we made mention on, of it on the comics on the comic forums and the Super Show forum board. If not, I will note I will note that and let people know of it as well. So there are only like I said twenty. There are only twenty five available. So for two bucks, trust me, you can't beat it. Plus on top of that, we are having a raffle. Um, at the CGS Super Show over in the PKD air, PKD Media area, where we will have the original piece that the print is based off on. That will be part Absolutely. of, and that will be part of a big old raffle we got going on at the CGS Super Show. We will be raffling that off. We will be raffling off an original Andy Jewett Mercury and the Murd cover. Um, we will also be raffling off um, a graphics tablet. Uh, it's a generic. It's a generic Wacom graphics tablet called a Vista tablet. Nice. Uh, and we will be raffling off an, a, an old school, never opened, real Ghostbusters race stance 
like one or two other and oh and autographed comics um such as secret wars issue 12 autographed by mike zek very cool and a couple other things as well i, I can't give it all away but what we're doing is we're raffling this stuff off to raise money for PKD Media. Um, we're also, some of the artists that contributed pieces, they will get a percentage of the raffle ticket money. And so it's like 25% goes to P, goes to uh, CGS. Another another 25% is split between the artists that donated something to the raffle. And then the other 50% goes back to PKD Media so we can actually have an operations budget because we have none. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I think this is going to be really great for everybody to um, to check out. It's a win win. We've got plenty of artists at our booth, including Drew, who's going to be right who's going to be right next to me, um, and all of our other homies that are going to be there, uh, such as Chad Chaconi, Bill Blank. It's going to be a great show. Oh great yeah, show. great show. Just tons of people, tons of people in our area. So, I, and apologies if I didn't mention everybody's name. Trust me, I'll put it in the show notes or I'll say it beforehand. Trust me, you will know. So this is going to be a great show. So you, well, if you're listening to this and you're not there, you're going to lose out. Yes, you are. I hate to say it, but you are. <laughs> Got a question for you. All right, hit me. What do you feel your style is? And do you like it when people ask, ask do artists like it when they get asked that type of question? Well, I, I think yes and yes. That, that artists, most artists, the ones that I like the best, the artists that I admire and the ones that I, I like to follow are the ones who are constantly growing developing their style and changing their style. I'm not a huge fan of Jim Lee. I'm not a huge fan of Alex Ross mm -hmm. because they are at the recognizable. They're never going to go in any other direction. You know what I mean? Okay. You look at a Jim Lee drawing, and that's a Jim Lee drawing, period. Yes. It's never going to change. Alex Ross, never going to change. Artists like, for example, Scotty Young, you look at his stuff from three, four years ago, and you look at his stuff today, it's developed, it's changed, his way of doing things have changed, and I love that. I love seeing an artist who, can, who, who is constantly rearranging and changing and developing and finding that style. Mm -hmm. And during those stages, that's usually the best time to watch them. I'm in kind of that, that mode myself because I'm still tweaking with, with the tools of the trade, so to say. Like I said, uh, when we started Agents of Colts, it was the first time I ever started working with Zipatones in, in, in Photoshop. I've 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 started doing more stuff in the computer with the computer instead of just hand doing everything. So my style is changing and it's growing and it's 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 constantly tweaking in a little ways in there. So I'm in that mode where I'm still developing. I don't know if I have a particular style. I'm pretty sure if you look at a drawing, it's, okay, that's an Andrew drawing. You can tell right away, mm -hmm. just like you could a Mike Magnola or or or, or somebody like that. But. I, I think, in a way, I'm still developing and still changing and still developing, and I and I and I love seeing artists who've done who do that, who are who are constantly growing. I, I don't know if that answers the question, no, but no. that's just what first popped into mind. <laughs> no, no, that seriously, that does that does answer the question. I, I'm heavily influenced by anime, slightly, not as much. People see animation, they see manga and anime in my style a little bit, but that's not where I I tended to go towards. I like that. But I'm also into like the animated style, such as like the Bruce Tim stuff, mainly because of my children. When uh, when I was into drawing a lot, it, I was watching cartoons with the kids, and that was a heavily influenced. I'm also I also like the simple stuff, like the Mike McNoll and the Frank Miller, the the simple white and black contrast and all. So I incorporate that into my stuff. A really funny story: when we were in high school, and we and me and the guys were all drawing, my all-time 
favorite artist in the whole wide world was Art Adams. This was about the time that, you remember when Art Adams did like the three-issue stint on Fantastic Four? Where he drew Wolverine and Spider-Man and the Hulk and Ghost Rider as the new Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Those issues had come out, and I drew a picture of Ghost Rider, just a headshot of Ghost Rider, and I was looking directly at the Art Adams comic when I did it. And I showed it to the guy. I said, hey, guys, what do you think? What do you think? And they looked at it and said, yeah, that's an Art Adams drawing. And I'm like, no, that's me. I drew that. And they said, no, but you copied it directly from Art Adams. From that moment on, I said I would never draw like Art Adams, even though he's my all-time favorite artist. I refused to look at his stuff for inspiration, even though I love it. I just wasn't going to do it. So I went in a whole totally different direction. Ah, maybe that hit me. In, it shot me in the foot because, you know, there have been a lot of artists that have made a living in all copying Art Adams. But I said to myself, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm never going to do it again. And it was all because they picked on me. Yeah, well, but, oh, well. well. That's all right, because I got stories of Todd drawing exactly like Will, Will Sportacio, and there's even times where they drew like Rob LaFell, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> And they, they can't deny it, because I have copies of some of those drawings from early on. See, well, there you go. Uh, there you go. Blackmail material for the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, imitation is the most sincere form, form of flattery. It is. It is and then you can tell, and there's a lot of artists today that you can tell would not have been around if not for other artists. Like, there would, no, there would not be a J. Scott Campbell if not for Art Adams. And there wouldn't be an Art Adams if not for Mike, Michael Golden, you know? Because mm -hmm. these guys took those styles, mimicked it, copied it, and made it into their own. Right. And, and see, and who's to say that like back in the day when you did that um you know piece that your friends said looked just like Art Adams and they said you were you know copying Art Adams who's to say that you wouldn't have been able to act, you know define your own style anyway which you ended up doing anyway you defined your own style regardless yeah. so oh, yeah. so yeah yeah stuff like that cracks me up see i got a different story when i was oh, yeah. a, when i was a kid um this is when Voltron was real big and there were the two series there were the lions and there was the vehicle force Yep. Well, there was a third series that was supposed to come out in the United States. But by the time the vehicle series was, was hitting its end, they had just come out with that um, American-produced team-up episode, um, which had the Lion Force and the Vehicle Force together. Right. And right. that, is, as much hype as it got, it, wasn't, it didn't really do well. It didn't really do well at all. They decided to not bring the third Voltron series over. And the third Voltron series was essentially three robots— that um kind of stacked together to form like a six armed, a six a six armed robot with like these cool swords and whatnot. I even had one of the uh, one of the one of the Voltron robots from this series because Matchbox released them, and really? I and okay. I had and I, and I had one of them, and I wish I still had it. It hurts me that I don't that I don't have it. So I got excited one day and I started drawing this you know does call Voltron three. I started drawing Voltron 3. Now, I know as a kid I was not the greatest artist in the world. I wasn't. I was, ter you know, I, I was terrible, but I was trying to learn how to draw shapes, how to get structures down, how to kind of do like the whole 3D thing and whatnot. So I drew it, and I was so happy by what I'd done. And it was probably a bad, very bad drawing. Okay, I was like 13 years old. No, I was, <laughs> I, was, I was 12 or 13 years old. And it was probably a very bad drawing. And I'm sorry, I was 11. That's right, I was 11. So I took it to my uncle, Matthew, who was a few years older than me. He was a fantastic artist. He's one okay. of those people that we all know. You know those people that are so talented and they never do anything with their talent and they just let it fade away? I know a couple people like that. He is one of those people because yeah. he stopped drawing you know, a decade, decade or two ago. So sad. Breaks my heart how talented he was. I showed it to him and he started laughing. 
I mean, uncontrollably laughing for 10 oh, minutes. Boy. Oh, boy. For 10 minutes. And I just took the drawing and I walked in the kitchen and I threw it away. And I did not draw again for like six or seven years. Have you ever told him this story? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> never, never told him. Never, never told him. You know, because we used to pick on each other all the time because we weren't, you know, that much old. You know, I, I wasn't that much younger than he was. So right. we, we would pick on each other all the time. But that, that hurt me. And I just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I just threw it away. Well, you know, it's, it's sometimes if you look back, it's the, the little things like that, that that kind of shape us, you know, that kind of send us in different directions. Mm-hmm. I have a story that's really similar to that. Back in, back in the day, and I'll make this one short because I, oh, I know uh, I'm interrupting your story. Oh, but, no, no, no. I was done. Going, dude, we got time. <laughs> I, Go ahead. I had a, there was a time when the guys and I, we were all doing our submissions to Marvel and DC because that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to work for Marvel and DC. I spent months working on a six-page story of Batgirl versus Harley Quinn and the Joker and another six-page story of X-Nation, if you remember that one, back in the 2009 days. That was Humberto <laughs> Ramos was, was popular then, so mm-hmm. I was doing a six-page story of that. I sent the, the, the Batgirl off to DC, and I sent the X-Nation off to Marvel. I got a rejection letter from DC, and I never heard anything back from Marvel. And then I put my hands down and said, that's it. I'm not, right, not going to draw for these guys ever. Forget it. I'm going to go and do my own thing. Yeah. And from that point on, I focused on just my own stuff, period. And never, I, I, you know, I never once thought about doing another submission for them. Just said, forget it. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, maybe if there, were, if there was even a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of, good job, keep working at it, you're not right now, they were, it was just a simple rejection letter. And I said, that's it. Threw my hands up, said, forget it. Don't want to work for these guys. I want to do my own thing. Period. I don't know. Maybe there would have been something in there that changed it, but but I I still have those pages, and I look back at them now, and I go, oh my god, I would have said no to me too. <laughs> <laughs> but it but it but it but it kicked my butt in a whole different direction, right. and I've and I've never looked back, and I've actually. I've been very proud of the, the stuff I've done for myself and for other people, such as Rich and for you. I've been very proud of those things that I've done and never, never looked back and said, oh, I could have been a great Marvel guy, but forget it. <laughs> you know, I would rather draw my own stuff than draw Batman any day. I'm starting to realize that I love creating, you know, creating these quote-unquote properties or original nope. properties, original concepts and whatnot. You know, some, may, some people may see them as tributes to this or some people may see it as completely original or what, what have you. You know, everybody interprets things differently. Mm-hmm. But in a way, at the same time, by in doing this, it's somewhat made me stop chasing. It's, it's, it's made me stop chasing, as Phil Hester said, chasing Batgirl. And what, and what Phil Hester meant was, because he had said, actually, he had mentioned this before, and he said this on, tw- he, re- he repeated it on Twitter a few days ago. And he said, Chasing Batgirl, a term some of my comic pro friends use to describe the state of pursuing work for hire at Marvel or DC so intently that you neglect creator-owned work and long-term goals. So here's not to Chasing Batgirl. Drawing, writing Batgirl, fine. Chasing kills. Wow, that's very... I, I can definitely, definitely understand that sentiment perfectly. That's almost like what I was thinking, but put into words that just make so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell my wife I'm not chasing Batgirl. Mm, yeah. Unless, of course, I go to a con and see a well-developed young lady dressed up as Batgirl because yeah. redheads just 
you know, there we go. Yeah, you focus my vision. Yeah, yeah, you can't go wrong. Normally, you, know, normally <laughs> you just can't go wrong. I, and I, I agree with you fully on that. That's what, <laughs> believe it or not, that's why she's one of my my all time favorite characters. So mm-hmm. Something about that red hair. But okay, I know we're diverging. But no, no, no. <laughs> hey, this show is all about tangents. So you've listened to episodes, so you know yes, we I go have. off. Yes, on I have, and enjoyed every single one of them. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. We appreciate it. Now, because we do Agents of Cold and Black's Danger in Space together. Mm-hmm. What is it that you like most about doing those comics? Well, I have I've always been a big fan, and it goes all the way back to Power Pack of the groups. Power Pack, Teen Titans, you know, New Mutants, young characters, groups, you know, I, I've always liked that. And, and that and that that of course lends itself to G.I. Joe and to Transformers because there's so many characters. And, and that's one thing that Agents of Cults and Black Stanger in Space has is it has a plethora of characters, of different characters. And that's one of the, it, it's, it's not a focus on an individual, but it's a group, and there's lots of them, and there's more coming all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I enjoy that. I enjoy that very much. And it, it's, everybody has a personality. Everybody has a distinct way of doing things in the way they look. And I am enjoying developing that and expanding on that. And I'm looking forward to the next, the next round because there's going to be so much more that's going to be involved. And just can't wait. More Minotaurs. More Minotaurs. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Please believe. My, my inner Larry Hama is, is, producing a lot, is producing a lot of characters. I'm not, I'm not going to give you any neon ninjas or anything like that. But I'm going to give you some fun stuff. Very good, very good. And that's actually our talk of Minotaurs has had led me to a, a new idea that I came up with mm-hmm. that I'm trying very hard not to focus on it because uh, this year when I go up to the New York show with my friend Todd, well, we're going to go in a day earlier and he's been trying to convince me to do a 24-hour comic for years now. And we're finally going to take that 24 hours before the show starts to actually do a 24-hour comic. And I've got an idea, and it actually involves minotaurs, and I'm 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 itching at the bit to get drawing on it, and I I have to ask I have to check with him on the rules, how much pre you know work you can do for a 24-hour comic, right? Because I I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a spontaneous burst out of your brain, or if you could actually you know do character designs and layouts before you get started, so. We'll have to see. I, I got to get. I got to check with him on the rules because if it has to be something that bursts right from your brain at that exact moment, I'm gonna have to do something else. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you more about it at the Super Show. It's oh. one of these development type things. So. Oh no problem. It's cool. Have you ever seen uh, Mike Norton's 24-hour comic, The Curse? Curse. Yes, I have. It's that's 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 amazing what he was able to do. So. That's that's a talented gentleman right there. Yes, it is. Very good. Yes. <laughs> now. Last question I want to ask you, and this is sticking with the art tip. Um, with me being a writer, you being the artist, well, you are also a writer too, because um, we had talked about this over the phone like, about a mm-hmm. month ago. How, because like we had been doing, we had been doing this, doing Agents of Cold and Black's Danger in Space for over a year, and we never talked over the phone. We never talked over Skype. And then one day I said, I haven't talked to this man since the Super Show. That's you know. Right. I, I really seventy pages worth of art and story done without a single conversation well, between well, us. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And hey, that was when you called me. That was the very first thing I said. Do you realize we haven't talked for sixteen months? I, and I, a it, year it, and a half. It didn't even cross my mind. That's that's yeah. what was so crazy because it's like we just worked well together. But the funny thing is, is that 
I learned more in that phone call about how to collaborate with you than I did those 16 months we did making these making these com making these comics and, and we did a you yep. know I felt we did a really good job together seriously you know we did a really good job but well the best the best part was is that you were very flexible when it came to the art mm-hmm. because you would supply me with a page of story and I would change it either change the direction or the layout or you would be specific on one thing and I would go a completely different direction still maintaining the same the story yes. but maybe exerting something that I thought was maybe too hard to draw or couldn't fit into the space that was needed or, and you were flexible enough to say go for it go for it see I mean, it. we're, we're, we're going to have to sit back and tell them the story about uh, the, the ninja guy Saku how do yes. you say his name? Uh, I call him Saku Saku uh, how, how his whole jumping out of the airplane and all that was a lot more involved and, and I told you I just wasn't going to go that far <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and no but, and then seriously at the same time after you did what you did um, the way you laid it out, it made more sense because sometimes I, I can be over analytical with things. And so, you know, and I feel like, oh, OK, we have to show step by step by step. You yeah. don't. And, and, and you don't always have to do that. And that's something that one of those things that you learn. And, yep. and also at the same time, you know, there are times where I may put too many panels on a page. And, you know, Drew's like, when well, this is too many panels, I can work this a different way and still get the same thing across. And you do. And there's never been a moment where I've had to say, Look, I really needed that there. Put right, that there. Because right. your flexibility made it easier for me. So. Well, because I, you know, it's one of those things. I try, you know, I trust you because you did a lot of tales from the cornerstone. You've you've got work in. You've worked on mimes. You've worked with uh, with uh, with Rich Beratovich on Sentinels. Mm-hmm. You've got a catalog. You know what I'm saying? You know, and like somebody might somebody might say, well, it's a small press indie catalog. I don't give a damn. It's a catalog. You've put in work. Yep. So you've got experience under your belt. So, and also I find it cool that all that trust was via email. No phone calls. <laughs> no, no phone calls. And that Hard to yell at me through an email, though, you know? No, 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 no. <laughs> that's, that's, that was probably another saving grace. <laughs> and no, 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 no yelling through email. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the all caps emails. Because once again, the internet, you can't interpret sarcasm and, and emotion sometimes and absolutely over the internet if, if if i got something i got to say i got to do it over over the phone or via skype so that that's absolutely. how i do but um and andrew is 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 officially a co-creator on agents of cult so he's got say on it too just like me we really want to take it very very far i i love it to me to me it is my, it is honestly my gi joe but it's not gi joe if you know what so, i mean would now be a good time to talk about killing off a couple of characters. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we just got started. <laughs> yeah, but I hate drawing Brad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, don't let him hear that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. I'm, I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to what we do next simply because we've got 70 pages worth of work behind us now. And we've only just started to develop what we're going to be able to accomplish. I mean, you and I had that conversation after it was all done, and I mentioned to you the idea of splash pages, something I've never really done, and I want to do it. And Colts and, and, and Blacks is, is a great place for a splash page to show up. And, and you kind of jumped at that and said, ooh, ooh, you know, it's like that, that it's it's i'm looking forward to what comes next yo so am i so am i and trust me i i got a i got plenty of splash pages for you got a, lots of cool characters for you and um we're gonna make this fun so more trust minotaurs me. oh, I'm, I'm gonna give them to you 
<laughs> all right. Minotaurs are going to be our new zombies, sir. And every all the other companies are going to bite us and have Minotaur comics. And we can say we started it first. There you go. <laughs> so I thought werewolves were going to be the next zombies, but we're going to have to we're going to have to divert that and make Minotaurs the next zombies. Um, Minotaur, Minotaurs will 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 smack a will smack a werewolf dude. Speaking of Minotaurs, um, we didn't mention the promotion with the DCBS and yes, that that is true. I know we started, but we, we, we kind of bypassed it. Okay. Well, Do you want to mention that now? Yeah, or? Oh, no. I'll mention it now. Now, here's what's going down. Um, in, in April, we're, we're doing orders for the Mercury and the Merc Collateral Damages Volume 1 trade paperback on DCBS and Heroes Corner. So when you go to Super Show, if you don't go to Super Show and you want a copy of Mercury and the Merc and you can't make it, don't worry. In April, we will have that trade paperback available, available for you. Now... For Agents Occult, we will be selling Agents Occult on DCB Service and Heroes Corner in May. We'll be taking orders for it. And what we're doing is, for everybody that orders a copy of Agents of Cult, the trade paperback, Volume 1, Recipe for Destruction, if you order a copy, you will receive a free head sketch from Andrew Charpar. And not just a little one. I already have my 8.5 by 11 paper, cardstock paper, ready to go. And I'll do a headshot of whatever you like. Yes. And we still have to work out how that's actually going to happen, right? But it's going to be it's going to be an extra special offer. Um, so be ready and get ready for that. We're definitely looking forward to seeing the general public uh, consume some Agents of Cult. So, but no, but we also have copies of Agents of Cult Volume One at CGS Super Show, along with Mercury and the Murd Volume One. As I said, we've got print. We got the special Agents of Cult print that Andrew did. Um, for $2, myself and, and, and Andrew will sign it. We've got original raffles jumping off. Plenty of artists at our booth. I, trust me, I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I, I got you. Do not worry about that. This is going to be a great time. And we if, also, you, if, if you're out there and you love independent comics and you love original art, PKD Media is the, the place to stop and, and check us out. Yes, you, I, I promise you a good time. Stan Leroy won't disappoint you. So, never does never does <laughs> well thank you i appreciate that drew <laughs> and and seriously thank you for for coming on the show and taking out time man no problem i look forward to the next the next uh sitting down and bs a session <laughs> yes yes and i got plenty of writing that i got to do after super show because we got deadlines <laughs> <laughs> i hear you <laughs> but no but andrew thank you man and thank you very much and i appreciate it sean hey you're welcome And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO1 and the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. <laughs>